0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse.
1: Hi, I'm Misa.
0: Hello, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Will. We're going to talk about Looking Backward, 2000 to 1887, a utopian novel by Edward Bellamy. First published in 1888. And uh, I heard a lot about this book. It's kind of disappointing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, I don't agree with you. Um, it's because th- I've read so many sequels or rebuttals. Um, he's doing something interesting here. And I can see why it was so popular. It was truly quote unquote novel. In that it's sort of doing something that obviously was incredibly popular. This is third most popular or third most published, third bestseller of, uh, its time. Uncle Tom's Cabin and Ben Hur were the only things that were its rivals in the US anyways. Um, Ben Hur, you know, I've heard of that. And I've seen the movies.
2: <laughs> it became an actual political force. It's not, like yeah, it and then dissipated. Published. There was this nationalist party
0: Mm-hmm. Developed. But I think the response is the number of books I've read. Like the first one I read, I, this is the one I really want as an audiobook. I want to do a read along on it. It's, um, uh, Mac Reynolds. Uh, I think it's called Equality in the year 2000. It might be another one in, in, it's been so long since I read it, but Mac Reynolds was, uh, a really cool SF writer who was always dealing with, utopias and communism and all sorts of interesting stuff and and his his one is okay we're in this wonderful utopia and and we have a problem the problem is there's not enough good work um and it's a bunch of academics sitting around at the university complaining that they don't have enough work and uh, they're all sitting around at the bar the there's no waiter the, all the food served at the table you just press a button you get a guaranteed universal income. Um, you can't spend the money fast enough. Uh, so the problem is not, you know, material want. It's not strife. It's not war. It's there's not enough stuff for us to do. And that is a really cool problem to have. <laughs> so it's about a revolution to try and change the system and make it uh, better, which I think is really a cool idea. But here it's actually, you know, going from Dickensian horror of capitalism to, uh, a theoretical utopia. There's some things about this universe that he's created in the year 2000 that are pretty fucking horrible, <laughs> but other, most of it's pretty okay, I think. So yeah, I was like kind of underwhelmed because I read so many responses that I think I, I, I just I was comparing it to all these other cool books, you know. Hey, Jesse. Mm.
3: Did you get a chance to... um, I know I had shared that William Morris uh, review of the book before on Twitter. I'm not sure if you had a chance uh, to look at it. But I think he has um, some of the same ideas about it that you do.
0: Well, News From Nowhere, I've done as a show, and it's a great book. I think that that's a much better book than this. Um, Although it's... Tech, it, it's sort of short on some technical details um but i think his philosophy is better uh, what, what what did the review say i don't remember um, reading it
3: oh yeah no i i didn't actually fully read it myself until this morning so uh-huh. uh, we're we're in the same boat here um but uh uh he kind of uh says it's like not very good as a romance um and says that everything that is interesting about this book is um you know the political content like the the kind of call and response sort of uh faqs about right uh, right this sort of arrangement um uh, a point that uh william morris makes that uh frederick jameson also makes um uh, evan is that uh of course uh if you're like setting up a utopia uh it's bound to be kind of idiosyncratic right it's going to be about um the person making it more than anything else at some point mm-hmm. um and i think what we have on our hands here um <laughs> is this like uh it's this sort of uh anglo-protestant utopia in a way i think mm-hmm. or uh uh maybe uh just like uh like a calvinist utopia uh almost i don't know um it's I it's mean, very american it's it's very. I think American. it's more
2: American than than Anglo in the
3: mm-hmm.
2: like even British capitalism was. You had a lot more like smaller firms competing. It was more kind of the the economic textbook version closer to that. Um, yeah, well, what you I mean, yeah, the, the company things like that. But in America, very quickly, you know, after the Civil War, you had this these huge monopolies emerging and railroad and steel and all these different industries, and that's what Bellamy is really responding to. The same way Jack London is in there. Mm. It's like, we, we're not. It's, the utopia in America can't be kind of a Jeffersonian thing. I mean, that's kind of where William Morris, I think, is. His sentiment is more
0: with that kind of. Yeah, a he's a, he's an sense. artist. Yeah, he's an artist talking about his utopia. Jack London is a, uh, I don't know, down on his luck hard scrabbler, right? uh, talking about his utopia and Bellamy is like this, uh, upper middle class dude talking about how we should all be nice to each other and all the, uh, what's, what's so interesting to me is the, the, those Bellamy clubs that spring up, they'll come to nothing.
3: Right? <laughs> well, well, I mean, necessarily. Right. Um, uh, that's another thing Morris points out about this is, uh, it plays into a sort of, uh, economic fatalism that, uh, I mean, there's no political action necessary. Almost, we just have to like uh, make people understand, right? right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's and sermons. I, I,
0: I, I re, uh, I did the extra homework I assigned you. I don't know if you uh, saw it. There's two short stories. They're not really even stories. They're, I just realized what that there's. They're sermons. Christmas in the year 2000, um, from January 1895, published in Ladies' Home Journals. One page story. It's not really a story. And then, uh, the woman, woman in the year 2000, both by Edward Bellamy, February 1891, it, both published in Ladies Home Journal. And the way they read, I'm realizing like they're less plot than they are. This is like a sermon. It's secular in a certain sense. Although the one in Christmas, it is so interesting because he's saying, you know, the true spirit of Christmas. If you, we went back in time from the tw- from the year 2000 to 1887 or whatever, 1877 or whatever, um, and we saw how people treat Christmas then, they don't under- understand what Jesus' message is. And I'm like, that's that's a really good point you're making. <laughs> um, uh, but that's exactly what they say in. Uh, in church on Sunday too, right? That's what those sermons are for. It's a weekly reminder that you're supposed to be like Jesus. Meanwhile, that doesn't stop anybody from you know continuing with the capitalist system and converting the idea of you know um, working to help your fellow man as charity, where you give to the food bank, like Justin wants us to do, <laughs> instead of having UBI, which is what I think Bellamy's saying although uh, it's his kind of totalitarian right? it's kind of totalitarian in terms of like what i like uh, I, I re- about our system that's really shitty is that I, I i think there's a few loopholes that allow people to some people to escape relatively okay so like notice there's no reservation like there is in um brave new world where mm-hmm. people who can default Right, the whole fucking world is is under this Edward Bellamy system, and I'm pretty sure that that's it's not as good as he said. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, it, other than that, I think it's pretty good. Other than the fact that it sounds kind of totalitarian, and uh, I don't like the the whole Council of Elders, everybody old runs everything thing. <sighs>
1: the first time I heard about this book mm-hmm. was when we did the, um, 1984. Mm-hmm. And they said, this was one of, this was a huge influence. Mm. On George Orwell.
0: Mm. Remember? I don't remember that, but I remember the book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They said it was, they said this was one of his, I, I think they said uh, that he was, um, this was a huge influence. And, 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 and when I was reading this, I was thinking about 1984, like, this is it upside down, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which was uh, very. No, but
2: 1984 is totally enforced scarcity. This is post scarcity. It's yeah, upside but, down. I mean,
1: everything run by by the government and and you know. You, you, it's not all run just,
2: by the government. You're,
1: it, you're, in 1984,
2: ni- newspapers. Bellamy makes it clear is, newspapers are still kind of a free market.
0: No, he she's talking about 1984. Oh. okay.
1: 1984. Okay. Yeah, no, I said 1984 is like this upside down.
0: Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, The way the the subscription service so that people can edit magazines um, reminded me a lot of what was happening in the news this week with Glenn Greenwald leaving the Intercept. Did you guys hear about this story?
2: I've I've kind of heard ripples about
0: so Glenn Greenwald. Glenn Greenwald, you know, he's a journalist, very famous for the Snowden docs and a bunch of other stuff. Um, he he co-founded something called the Intercept, which was like a alternative news source uh, funded by a billionaire with a bunch of other progressive. Well, that's not the right word. How about like actual journalists (laughs) like Jeremy Scahill? And, uh, there's a, the lady who did the Snowden video, um, uh, Laura Portress and only person left now is Scahill and Scahill. If you listen to his podcast, he only talks about Trump, right? So there's the, the issue of the week was, um, he, Glenn Greenwald tried to, publish a story, hit the publish button, and the editors, uh, who are all getting paid big money to not write very many stories and not really, you know, anybody you've ever heard of. We're all there to say no you can't do that because you you can't talk about Biden and what was revealed in these emails. Because there's a ban, right? <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, and Intercept. And I, I saw in the same week People still angry about the 2016 election uh, headlines um, saying, you know, Hillary's emails and that being on the front page of the New York Times. And they say, I never I uh, I was reading through the the comments, people saying uh, New York Times has never apologized for this, never pulled it down. So they're like there's this hate for. For institutions like the New York Times who dare to tell us you know, what's going on in the news. And, of course, they don't do that anymore. (laughs) They just don't talk about it. So I appreciated in this book the idea of the institutions of, of magazines and all that stuff being all in the hands of people's disposable income, right? You have this card, and you can put it wherever you want. It's like Patreon or whatever, right? You just put together enough people and they will subscribe. So Glenn Greenwald went over to something called Substack, which is what a lot of people have been going to. It's basically blogging, but some of the way of monetizing, it's kind of like Twitch, right? But for writing and journalism. And that is the opposite of 1984, right? Where everything is processed through official government bureaucrats or Mm -hmm. in the case of our world, Um, People who are stenographers for the government right, will take whatever talking points the government is handing out or want disseminated by leaks and will leak them unattributed, right? Government sources say, two sources tell us, two anonymous sources, right? That is not what we want. We want a real, you know functioning journalism and so that aspect of this book is awesome
1: yeah what did you say you pay you pay to be able to write and then wh- however successful you are you you get money back or not cre- credit so you know?
0: so in the in, in this book basically um you've got a journal right um you know dentists weekly <laughs> um people uh, Will say I want to be the editor of Dentist Weekly, and mm-hmm. people say, "Yeah, I think that's a good idea." And they take their uh, credit. credit and they give it as whatever percentage they want or whatever is required, and they subscribe. It's just like regular sort of free market, except um, it's within a system that doesn't. Yeah, got a UBI. It is a UBI, so it, yeah, the, you, you the, set your price. The difference here is with UBI. Um, which is, it, it doesn't require you be set up in an official system, right? You are going to be a dent Like, I think about how all the artists would work, right? <laughs> if you're an artist today, you could go to art school. Uh, you can get a degree in art, or you could just do art, right? But if you're a dentist, you need to go to dental school. But if you're a hair salon... Uh, worker, and you can cut hair real good, if you if you can cut hair real good, people don't care if you went to hair school. Right? So, if you officialize everything and send everybody down certain tracks, which is kind of the way this book seems to push it, I think that that it could be a nightmare.
2: Well, there's some rigidity yeah. there, Jesse, but the context is, you know, of the people in 1880s, mm-hmm. I mean, this is even before the 8-hour day, right? This right, right. Like 12 hours in the coal mine, from when you're ten years old, the compared to that, there's quite a lot of educational flexibility in the program Bellamy
0: described. And, and maybe that is the success of Bellamy and and uh, William Morris, because uh, in reading those old William Morris newspapers that he was producing, mm-hmm. I found you know these are our successes. We got the eight-hour workday. We have reduced child labor, right? And then people start to of say, "Hey, we're done," <laughs> and that's. That's where we've been left, right? That's why we still have the eight hour work day and we still have uh the child labor laws that we have. Because I I
1: I, I, I love the way he talks about education. He he was talking about how it, it was the most the single most important thing mm-hmm. in, in his whole um
0: and the cheapness society, of it too, right? How cheap it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 what what I <laughs> I probably told this to Evan privately in some time. And I was like, we should be spending like half of our gross national income on tutoring.
1: <laughs> well, uh, but isn't that kind of what he's saying? Nobody nobody falls through. Everybody gets the the, love, the same level. And yeah, so, yeah if you want it's to be the a testing. to go, go to town, be a hairdresser. It's the be testing
0: that I'm worried about.
1: possibly can. Yeah
0: right and and the and and you know my complaint about how there's always like around me there's no bookstores there's only hair salons and nail salons and skin whitening salons and dog dog doggy food stores and doggy spas and stuff like that um those those are all things that you would still need in a bellamy society even if you have a costco for every you know grocery store and yeah. you know uh pneumatic tube delivery of your groceries or whatever um, all right, you,
2: I think the Costco thing is something we need to. I mean, I think that's where Bellamy's totally right like, mm-hmm. here. We we talked about this before. I mean, you indeed, see the Iron Heel, like, I just so I just show noted the Iron Heel, but there's also that uh, People's Republic of War. That's
0: what I just finished show noting, and that book yeah. is uh, it's turning this very um, utopian novel, uh, which is, I mean, it's. Uh, it literally, I think it's way less interesting than that Vrill book we did, you know? Um, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. We should, we should talk about them side by side at some point because
0: they're, they're different, but they're also similar. Um, but they're, the, the setups virtually the same, right? Um, guy goes yeah, into yeah, a world yeah, and he, he's living with a family and the family tells him what's going on and he falls in love with some of the family members or whatever. um, so the, the, the setup is almost exactly the same. It's a little less, uh, uh, eugenics based, but there's some eugenics in this. And it's, I love his, I guess he's a, what we would call a classical liberal in the sense that he thinks eugenics is going to happen when women are liber- liberated to choose, uh, not by, uh, out of desperation for money and lack they can't own property, but because they just, uh, we'll be looking at the genetics rather than the inheritance that they're getting with their husbands and their, their uh, offspring. Yeah,
2: what's going to happen to all the, all the men who weren't, like, attractive to... <laughs>
0: well, to it's, to a, it, it, it's an incel problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there. there's
2: no... Yeah. I didn't see... Could you use your credits
0: for other, other prostitutes? And- yeah, <laughs> that's not mentioned in here. And it's not mentioned in that uh, uh, yeah, women in the year 2000... But, uh I think <laughs> as well saying this is <laughs> this is I pretty progressive <laughs>
3: I, I'm gonna keep saying this is a Protestant utopia like yeah. I, I get what I get what Evan is saying about it being an American utopia but I think it's a very specific anglo-american Protestant utopia um it has like those cultural hangups I mm-hmm. think if um you know this were written from uh like an italian American perspective it'd be a really different uh, <laughs> utopia right yeah <laughs>
2: There'd be more cafes. one would be closer to, I think, Morris, right? Yes. Yes, more relaxed. The small, like, everyone would be like Picard, right? Growing wine or something. Or
0: organic, organic uh,
2: (laughs) mozzarella.
3: Yeah, I think Morris is, uh, (laughs) I think that's where Morris is wrong about this book, is uh, he says that it's, uh, this centralization is just no good. Uh, I mean, Morris was essentially an anarchist, right? Like, that's, uh, that was like the school of socialism Mm -hmm. that he was in. Um, So. Uh, you so know, Bellamy, it's very
2: artisanal, though. There is yes, artisanal. Kind of that's the word for it. Or artisanal type of anarchism. Yeah. Or maybe yeah, it's, like, it's more like a mutualist vision in a way. Like
3: like Proudhon or. Yeah, oh. but it's
2: just I I think the cats out of the bag in terms of of monopoly. I th- I think like Amazon is the foundation on which socialism will have to be based to some degree,
3: Absolutely. and I think that's what Bellamy's
2: right about. Mm-hmm. So it's it's about nationalizing amazon not no internationalizing. internationalizing so
0: internationalizing. that's that's the funny thing when he he talks about uh when bellamy talks he he says national nationalism and national clubs right but it's not he's talking about other countries too and you know we're talking over two continents and uh three countries right
3: and their empires in africa and asia mhm In the year 2000, by the way, Africa and Asia cannot govern themselves.
0: Yeah, there's... They have
3: to be governed by the white socialists who are teaching them socialism (laughs) very slowly. Uh,
0: Well, actually, it it doesn't, when he goes back to, at the end, when he goes back to uh, the dreary, horrible 1877 or whatever it is, um, he, he talks about how China is impenetrable. Isn't that in here? I'm thinking that's in
2: here. That's very early in the book. Oh, okay. I don't remember if it's in the flash or the the dream within the dream kind of. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. yeah, I I just I was so underwhelmed with this book because I've read all of these sequels that have sort of seen what he's done and said, well, okay, but and then the the butts usually have better refinement. So I want to talk uh, briefly about a book that I'm sure none of you have read, but it's really interesting book uh, called um, the unincorporated man. This is way too long. A book. It's uh, I, I want to say it's 20 hours, um, which is way too long. This book is about seven and a half or something like that. Uh, I would say maybe this could have been expanded a little bit. And I'm sure uh, everybody who was reading it at the time and thinking it was the most interesting thing ever written. Um, would too it feels like a little abrupt like i think isn't uh Vril, like uh, nine hours or i think it's just a little longer
3: yeah that sounds i think real is a little longer yeah. and,
0: and i think it feels like it, it does a better job in in giving us what we want which is a view of the society and how to understand it right so when we get um the unincorporated man it's the same setup somebody falls asleep Wakes up in the future. Um, instead of, and I, I kept thinking that it was going to happen in this story that the the Edith she was going to say, "Oh, uh the secret uh, we didn't want to tell you, but you now own the planet because you left your <laughs> six bucks in the, <laughs> in the compound interest." Right. So that that is a trope um from this it's just not actually in this book but basically that's what happens is this guy falls asleep he's an industrial businessman or whatever he wakes up in the future and uh he is the only person who is not a corporation right so it's actually instead of the solution with socialism and a universal army which we should get into rather the solution is just neoliberalize everything so that when you're born your parents get 50% of your shares <laughs> you get 50% and they're held in trust and you get some of them uh when you turn 18 and then when you turn 18 um you have to sell your shares so that you can get a uh, go to university and people who look at your grades in high school and elementary school will say hmm, this guy looks like he will be profitable in future and if you don't uh if you choose not to maximize your value to them they hack can uh, have a little um basically robotic program that will control your physical body to make you do stuff right basically it's the most ho- horrible intrus it's like it's like 1984 but not like to crush you but rather to to extract value from you um and it's a it's a Really good idea book on way too long. But that idea of, you know, instead of, you know, reversing the course or overturning capitalism, it says, no, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going until there's nothing left to, to privatize. There's nothing left to extract. So the only, you know, you, you're not even, you don't choose to be born. Uh, you're, uh, you, all your shares are not yours until you, Turn 18. And then when you turn 18, in order to survive, you have to apprentice yourself or you have to go to university. And these things cost money. And if you just choose to take that money and uh, uh, or keep your shares and not go into the system, then you will have no employment and you'll have no skills. And there's no place to go because everything's privatized. There's no public parks. There's no uh, public roads. <laughs> there's no public anything. So that's like the horror inversion of this, right? And it's the same setup. Another one that's really interestingly, um, surprisingly related, and you probably all are familiar with it, is Idiocracy, which is based on a C.M. Korn- Kornbluth story. Um, it's the same setup. Guy falls asleep. He is actually at his dentist's office um, and then he gets buried by a mountain after he takes some anesthetic or something and they f- find him on in a cave and they extract him and he's the smartest man in the world because everybody's been eugenically breeding themselves into idiocy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible 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 story. It's called The Marching Morons. Just terrible story. Oh,
1: uh, so that's what the movie's based on?
0: Yes. I, I I think fundamentally it's a satire, but people seem to take it as a as a um they take it as an actual reality possibility, and they say things like "We're living in idiocracy. This was very popular when George Bush, George W. Bush, was president. This idea, um, and For I think
2: I've had friends who they say I mean, they say things like "Only stupid people are breeding." They're that's right, That's right, kind of subtext to mm-hmm. that. Movie. And that's I think a lot of people kind of do. Kind
0: oh, of the movie's like, a lot a movie. lot nicer uh, than the story. The story is really horrible. Um, and he actually has another story that's set in the same well, sort of related. It's called the little black bag. It's about a time traveling doctor's bag <laughs> that goes back in time and allows a homeless person to become a uh, the best doctor on the planet because it tells you everything. You know, you just wave your magic wand like on Star Trek right over the person's body and it tells you information about what's wrong with them. And then it prescribes something from the doctor's bag. So you don't actually have to know anything. You don't even need to read. It's got like, it's paint by number style, you know, f- red flashing means this thing, right? So it's, it's like the idea is we're going to dumb ourselves down. This is what, the, what a lot of people said about audiobooks when I was really into them <laughs> back in the day uh before they were really popular and maybe maybe the the arguments are more legit now <laughs> I don't know if it is I don't think it is but it was really bad at the time people would say uh audiobooks you know you, you, that's not reading you're not reading a book don't say you read a book you listen to a book <laughs> and the reason they would say that is because they don't really understand what reading is right um and I saw, so you're saying blind people don't read because they don't use their eyes. (laughs) And you're saying um, reading with your fingers is reading, but reading with your ears is not reading. I see. (laughs) Right. People don't really think these things through very much. They sort of have these conditional feelings about stuff. And so when you have a society where you have push button elevators, right? Where you walk into the elevator and there's no elevator operator, but there's a button you just press, that makes us dumber, apparently.
1: Well, you need to be smarter to pull the actual elevator yourself. You need to be skilled, towards.
0: right? It, it, it's a skill. It's, well, the it's thing good. is, like, I I used to know
2: kind of how to use a slide rule. And mm-hmm. you kind of have to understand math to a certain degree you even use a slide rule, which you know with a calculator. Right. I mean, there might be a point there, there but, but it's got me thinking... You need like, to like know how, how to Star use Trek, a calculator, too. In Star Trek, they have to invent all these new weird diseases that that just suddenly appear and afflict hum- humans or Haldex going crazy mm-hmm. because it's true. Like mu- our mundane problems are no, nothing for them. So to avoid the idiocracy problem in Star Trek, they just create much more difficult challenges for them to, to face, which is something Bellamy doesn't really do. Yeah. Um, it, it, what he seems to be, there's no, there's no tension, right? There's yeah. Just, well, it's, it's a yeah. static yeah. society. I I that,
1: that, that, yeah. That's what, you're, that's what you keep pointing at for all these other stories. They're stories. Like, there are stories. Yes. There's tension. There's something else happening. We're, I was talking to a friend about this, and I said, there's, there's no, there is no real story here. There's no tension. It, it's a treatise, really. Yes. Yeah. It's and a
0: series of lectures.
1: It is. It actually, is. The
2: Iron Heel has more story than that. Yes, it does.
0: Yes, Iron
1: Heel
2: has, totally has all that Asia Tour stuff and other, you know, some... There's some conflict. Some cool stuff.
0: The conflict here is not, not not in the world itself. It's in the gap between, right? Yeah.
3: That's why I think the narrator might be a villain. <laughs> well, you
0: said uh, something really funny on Twitter. You're saying you were going to write a novel in which Bellamy yeah, was a villain. Yeah,
3: well, I think that there's a funny kind of novel about this that could be written, but... Uh... Let me let me lay out some of these premises and if somebody wants to steal this idea one of our listeners wants to write a novel about this for <laughs> me to read I think that would be better for me than <laughs> trying to write this novel so uh, please don't feel like I'm like trying to like claim this is mine um, so uh, so this guy uh, so this is a book that purports to be written in the society that it describes uh, we agree about that right mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it it pretends to be a historical document from the future, Mm -hmm. Um, even though, of course, our audience for the document uh, is, uh, you know, people in the 19th century. um, If we take the document seriously, its actual audience are people who live in this society. Now, why are they producing a document from a man from the 19th century uh, saying, oh, it's so good now? It's a propaganda text. It's a government propaganda text, mm. well, and, they're, and they're trying to tell you how good it is. Mm. Um, and for some reason, they're still uh, uh, they're still polemicizing against the anarchists, right? Mm. Um, so think about when the go- labor movement.
0: Yeah, right? that's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. That's uh, that yeah, that's basically. what I'm talking about. That the liberal. It's basically it's it's liberal elites congratulating each other for being so progressive for imagining the future and then forgetting about it and going back and eating their toast or whatever
3: yeah uh, i think i've shared this with you before jesse um what trotsky said about american socialists was that like we're all um like kind of like like middle class snake oil salesmen (laughs) who are like good at uh describing socialism to dentists and approximately (laughs) no one else just to dentists Uh, and you know uh, it's a it's a jab that trotsky had but actually historically like uh, the dentists were one of the major professions represented in the American socialist movement, <laughs> uh, especially Jewish dentists. But um, like dentists in general, like went with the socialists and communists in a way that no other profession did. Mm. Weird fact. And Why uh, is that. Um, well, I think that there's a there's a uh, there's a school of thought that says um, uh, American socialism has already has always kind of struggled to break out of um, uh, like the middle strata. Uh, and I don't think that's totally true, but I do think there's schools of American socialism that have struggled to get out of the middle strata, and I think the the like school of socialism represented by this book is one of those. It's not a mistake that the book's written in uh, 1887, uh, or rather in uh, 1887. What happens in 1886? I know Evan knows. 1886. Was yeah, with the Haymarket. Yeah, The Haymarket Affair. This book yeah. is written one year after, you know, The Haymarket Affair, um, uh, when, uh, you know, the government, uh, like, hanged eight men uh, for agitating for the eight-hour day. They did they throw a bomb sore. at the police.
2: One <laughs> killed himself. I think one was released from them.
3: Okay. Um, I forget. But, uh, forward. I, mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, this book is a response to that, certainly. Um, and I think if we look at it as a text from uh, the 21st century, uh, we have to believe that there's still a workers movement and the government is saying, hey, we're, uh, you know, we're really looking out for you here. Uh, I mean, I also think it's uh, kind of terrifying uh, that uh, uh, this is a world where, uh, you know, Africa and China like don't have political independence in the year 2000. This book is like, written in it, so. Uh, You know, maybe they couldn't foresee the national liberation movements. But what I'm saying is uh, that's a really bold statement. Um, And you don't suppress like whole continents without um, like a military. Right. Uh, There's a book that this book actually reminds me of that um, is kind of a pretty different book, but is also a book about socialism. And it's uh, The Moon Maid by uh edgar rice burroughs and it's a book that kind of starts out as a right-wing utopia uh that gets destroyed by socialism uh from the moon (laughs) uh and uh the main character in that book is also named julian um and i I looked this up uh that that julian actually doesn't have a last name and the the premise it's it's also a story that's about um uh, you know, somebody in the present telling a story about the future. Uh, and that book is premised on the idea that time doesn't exist. <laughs> so this guy is, like, able to remember things his, aunts, his uh, descendant in the future does uh, <laughs> when, like, the Socialist Moon people, like, destroy civilization. Um, but uh, the world that existed before the Socialist Moon people came uh, is really, really similar to the world uh, of this novel. I mean, it's not... Um, you know, the government doesn't own everything, but there's this, uh, uh, you know, uh, confederation between the United Kingdom and the United States that basically governs the entire world. And, uh, you know, the only reason we have a military is for the savage tribes that exist in Africa and Asia, and we have to, like, control those people still. Uh, I I think, you know, I think there's the same ideology there, even if we, like, uh, you know, say that, uh, you know, in this version of it, uh, you know, everybody in America has a great job and, uh, you know, we have this like immigration system we can talk about too. Uh, but in both situations, our like fantasy world is there's just like permanent dominance over, uh, Asia and Africa, um, by the first world just, just forever, basically. Uh, and I I think that's like a central part of the ideology here. I don't think that's a mistake. I don't think the Indian Wars were quite done in 1887. I don't think Reconstruction was that long ago in 1887. Yeah, actually, it's mentioned, it's, isn't
2: it? Scramble for Africa it doesn't really take off till 1880 after 1885, right? Like Africa's not colonized till yeah,
3: yeah, till I mean, the
2: 20th century. So Africa's still mostly independent when this is
3: exactly exactly. Um. And so, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think that the, uh, um, so like there's like a, a school of American socialism that tries to reduce everything to economic questions. I mean, there's a school of, like, every school of socialism exists because it naturally arises from like different sections of a society. Like, so uh, if there's gonna be, uh, if socialism is gonna be an idea, every kind of like cultural niche or class fragment is gonna have an idea about socialism. Um, And so this is like one of the ideas about socialism that's like always going to come back. And that's that we can reduce socialism to basically economic questions. um, And we don't really have to think about the politics that much. Uh, In fact, the politics is a distraction. And uh, we're not going to talk about, um, you know, anything except for the like employment relationship. And maybe we're going to talk about the woman question a little bit. Uh, and we're going to have a, like a weird scheme about it. But it, it's kind of ancillary to what we're doing here. And we're certainly not going to talk uh, about Jim Crow, which. You know, yeah, that's the huge the thing, thing that's missing. Of the American polity. And we've I mean, I mean, this guy is sort of also Rip Van Winkle, right? He's <laughs> through the second American Revolution. Uh, yeah, but it's but it's automatic. And. I think that there's uh, not William a black Morris person mentioned
0: in this story, right yeah,
3: I think William Morris is correct about one aspect of this book, and not that it's like it's a little bit dangerous because it like people will tend to treat it as a Bible for socialism, at least in context, uh, and it's not a good Bible for socialism. It's no. like it it's got some interesting answers to questions, uh, but it's just this I mean, it's this fundamentally like, here's how I'm going to explain socialism to dentists. Like it's just this like great economic system, uh, no strife to get us there. And, uh, you know, the workers movement, that's really annoying. So like, I actually think the government probably paid the anarchist because like, why else would they act that way?
0: (laughs) I like it. Yeah. I want to point uh, out (laughs) that, uh, it's kind of similar in the setup to, uh, one we did, um, called the dream of Debs. You remember that one?
3: Yes. You, oh, yeah,
0: that one's great. Saying, uh Evan, you weren't on that, but um Evan, you probably read Dream of Debs, right? By Jack London. It starts yeah, off so. Yeah, it starts off with a a guy, he's exact same setup. He his you know, he comes from wealth, he's at the club. Um his problems are uh his motor car needs a little bit of maintenance, right? It's from nineteen oh nine. Um and the major problem with the world is there's a threatened, uh, strike. Um, and then the, the, the story proceeds relatively quickly. It's only 47 minutes long, um, to show the effects of the, that strike over the course of, you know, a couple of weeks, I guess, at, at most. And basically society's sort of fucked up. Um, people are getting upset, but, but more importantly, our narrator is humbled and he is, he is of this class. So, in our novel we've just read for today, um, he's complaining that his workman, his foreman, uh, doesn't have the labor to finish his new house, right? His grandfather and his father before him all live on the labor of other people. And I love i I really there's some really good things in this book. One of them, really interesting way of putting it is, Um, it's a private tax. (laughs) Um, my income, my passive income from my investments is a private tax on other people's labor, right? (laughs) Which is, well, yeah, that, that is kind of what it is, isn't it? Um, and so he's upset that his new wife that he's going to marry, Edith, is, uh, unable to move in with him into his new home that he's having built. Meanwhile, I, I don't know how much we, stock we should put into it, but the fact that he's having trouble sleeping <laughs> at the beginning of the story and that he, he can go, like, two, three days without sleeping, then he employs a uh, hypnotist who's not a real doctor, he points out, um, mesmerist animal magnetism guy come in who gives him, uh, uh, along with a sleeping draft, uh and a sealed basement room <laughs> well I guess to keep out the sunlight and the sounds from outside so he just get some goddamn sleep because he can't sleep quietly night. And when he gets into the future when all of his uh his um anxiety at being living off of other people's labor and not being a productive member of society in that he doesn't actually produce anything like art or uh you know help to anybody just just a leech, um, oh, he has no trouble sleeping,
2: right? So well, he'll, he'll be a he'll be a, cons- a, a consultant for historians. <laughs> yeah, they, that, right? that's right. <laughs> that's a, uh, that, uh, but the, the thing about living off other people's labor, th- there's a interesting point about that, and in in the utopian section of this novel, where Uh, leet i think he says you know essentially the same thing we're like we're all benefiting from like the overall progress of humanity over the centuries right Mm -hmm. that we the reason we don't have to necessarily like earn our daily bread is because that that labor's already been performed in the past right like through like technological development, scientific development, all that labor is already in the capital in the in the society,
4: mm-hmm.
2: right? And right, that's I think that's relevant for even the conversation on like copyright and things like that.
0: Oh yeah, so that's uh, that's the other uh, like oh, we, we are kind of standing on this top of this mountain, uh, and, so much so.
2: A lot of people want to say like, oh, you have to like climb from the bottom, but we're already up here, right? So. We already I, are post scarcity in food, for, so so why do we have to struggle to eat? Or well, why do so many people have to struggle to eat? I think that's I think that's a really good contribution of Bellamy.
0: Oh, it, it, he is really yeah. good about post scarcity here, and and just you know, re, uh, he's really on about uh, salesmen, you know. And this is a, <laughs> so, something yeah. I really like that yeah. that happened. Like it, it, there was you know, there's styles and fashions of behaviors, right? So no pressure sales was a thing for a while, right? and that now you go into best buy the staff doesn't care if they help you or not right but uh there used to be a store that was competitor that got bought out by best buy called future shop and they had pressure sales right where the employees get uh more pay uh, actual you know maybe almost living wage pay if they make high pressure sales and increase the sales whether the customer likes it or not right um. So this is something that apparently was huge in 1887. Because what does Bellamy say? Is like, what the 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 employees aren't trying to pressure you into sales of things that you don't need and and lie to you about what those things are. I think that that's yeah, that was definitely really a big good.
2: thing. There's a great book called uh Countercultures, which is about women and the department stores. Mm-hmm. You know that that was kind of a good job for moving from the working class to maybe not quite the middle class, but kind of it was a job you could get, even if you didn't have shop a girl, how, right? Like it's a, I think there's something. an
0: Edgar right? Rice Burroughs story where there's a girl yeah. who does that well, that we've covered, right? Um, you go in, you work at these uh, sales jobs where you use your feminine wiles and batch your eyelashes. Not only are you, sh- are people shopping and giving you, I pay and buying stuff just to spend time with you. You're also shopping for a husband who can afford all this expensive stuff. Right. So yeah. he, he's, he's tackling a lot of stuff in here. And, um, before we started, uh, the podcast today in our pre show chat, um, I was, we were talking about next generation and Picard and <laughs> discovery and stuff like that. The uh, different Star Trek's Deep Space Nine. Um, uh, recently I watched, uh, the episode last, uh, I, I said it's the last episode 26 of the first season of Star Trek, The Next Generation. And it's called The Neutral Zone, and it's where they introduce Romulans for the first time in, uh, in The Next Generation. We hadn't seen them since, I guess, the original series. And that becomes sort of a big deal for Next Generation. But really, that's not a great title for the show because it totally makes you forget that we have uh three frozen human beings from the 20th century who wake up in the 24th century on the enterprise. One of them is a, ho- a homemaker, whatever that is. They don't know what that is. I thought that was pretty funny. Another one is a uh a musician, um, like a guitarist or whatever. And he's, he's got a, Drug addiction, <laughs> alcohol, and drug addiction, and uh, the third one is a capitalist, a CEO, and um, I, I think it's one of the best episodes because Picard gives the lecture. You know, uh, you don't need money, you don't need all that stuff. What you need to do is improve yourself. <laughs> take up a, take up some serious uh, guitaring or tromboning. Violining and learn to paint <laughs> all the things that all the people on the crew of the Starship Enterprise do when they're not, uh, you know, visiting brave new worlds or whatever. Right. All this the is to teach data to do. That's uh, exactly right. So data does his uh, expression. You know, you go to the, the kids lab and the kids are doing uh, sculpture, right? Uh, there's an episode in the first season where, um, some aliens who uh, can't give birth to anybody steal a bunch of children from <laughs> from the the Enterprise, and Wesley wants them to go, the kids to go on a hunger strike. Um, but th- those people on that planet are living in a post-scarcity society, and their schools, very much like the Bellamy schools, they will find out what you're good at, and they they run a scan on you to find out, um, and then they. Put you, pair you up with a teacher who's also your parent in this case. Um, and you know, there's a little kid who's really good at sculpture. He didn't know he hated math, right? So these, uh, I, the ideas from this book are incredibly powerful. And, and even though the societies disappeared, the responses never seem to have stopped, right? They, they are continuous, although I haven't seen one lately in the early 21st century where we are. Um, there was some, you know, like the, the, uh, when I mentioned the unincorporated man, that I guess is early 20th century, uh, 21st century, but it, it's, in, it's a really impressive how, how like this book was like, it was really novel in that it spawned. It, 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 I mean, think about, let's think about how big this book was. Uh, we talked about Vrill and how big it was, which is a similar idea book. Um, but it's like Harry Potter, except instead of kids <laughs> being the target audience and wizards and wands and, you know, Hedwigs and <laughs> Agrids being talked about all the time by children, it's, uh, you know, radical change to society being talked about by quote-unquote adults and and everybody had to have something to everybody had something to say about this book Mm
3: -hmm. i mean i think the book is like somewhat uh less exciting now that like countries have actually tried to do this right yes that's the Uh, thing (laughs) like like this is a real um uh like this is uh you know uh this book had fans who uh you know went on to try to do this in different countries
4: mm-hmm.
3: so uh you know uh now we have uh more rich things to reflect on in this vein, yes,
1: but you can see the appeal like I could see myself at that time being in the in the Bellamy club because why not this is, it should be it should be like that, you know like i I don't I, in terms of, of equality for everybody and, and and basic needs met and all of that, you know, oh,
3: it, it, I, I cried multiple times reading this. Wow, book. it's a beautiful book. <laughs> I mean, it really is a beautiful book. It
1: really uh, like the you know the potential that it, that that it purports. It, it's it's hard.
0: It has a number of really good metaphors. The I've never seen one as good as that umbrella metaphor. Right? I
1: love that. So good. Yeah, and and the other one about about the um the carriage where you know there's some people at the top and then everybody mm. else is pulling and and everybody's so desperate not to fall off the top right. and join the pullers like it's crazy
0: uh, you can see those people on twitter right <laughs> they're 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 the ones who are like talking about how we need to um give money to this this person who who's gotten not a patreon what's it called a uh, Go fund me for their cancer treatment. And this is the news now, right? Is um, there was a story about a, a teacher uh, who's got cancer and all the kids in the class who are raising money for, <laughs> for the teacher, right? Like, what the fuck's going on? How can this be? How can this be? Because we can't think collectively and saying, hey, hey now, how do we solve this? Oh yeah, there's a way. Yeah, there's a real easy way and it's been done all over the world and and it just doesn't get in there because the uh, when when I talk to uh Americans who are not uh Evan and Will um people who are not outside of the mainstream propaganda, I guess. Um they don't understand what Misa and I have right they don't understand what it means when you get sick you go to the hospital and it's kind of inconvenient cuz you have to pay a parking fee <laughs> so literally you're annoyed that you have to put in like money into the parking meter and you say this fucking sucks i hate going to the hospital <laughs> and that's the complaint right or maybe there's a line at the at, at the check in at the hospital right That happens. You have to wait a couple hours because you don't have a serious injury. You've got this rash that you don't like. Right? Or or, or that you go to the walk in clinic and there's a 15 minute wait. Oh, no. Like, they don't understand. And and the reason they don't understand is because it isn't put in their hand. You, like, literally have to go to a country where this is, and you have to live there for like six months, right? And this just feel it. And you say, oh, this is how it is.
1: I, and well, here I don't understand what it's like over there, like because so from this perspective, what do you mean? You know, like how can you be bankrupted?
0: Yeah, it's it, it, it is it literally like it, it, you it's can't impossible imagine
1: it that a country can be like that.
0: And and from this
1: perspective,
0: and not uh, and not have everybody saying what the hell's going on? Why why isn't there uh, why isn't there
3: something being done?
1: Especially with, you know, other countries doing it, right? Yeah, well, I mean,
3: we we couldn't do it in the 1950s because of um, segregation. Like, that's why we never had, like, national health care in the United States. Because of segregation? Yeah, like, all all of the Democrats were on board to give it to white people, right? Uh, And, uh, but the Southern Democrats, like, killed it because it would... uh, you know to do it properly it would have it would like transgress it would transgress that that racial boundary it's like you know up until uh uh you know 60 years ago or actually you know 50 years ago this country like had like like something approaching an apartheid system in large portions mm-hmm. of it so we don't get to have nice things that other countries have because we're like so obsessed with uh, uh suppressing a particular part of our population that's like you know, the main barrier, like there, there's two main barriers to progress in the history of the United States. And this book kind of tries to deal with one both of them by not dealing with them. Yeah. Uh, so, so the two main barriers to progress in the United States. Um, one is like by uh fiat of the federal government, we've created a large class of small property owners. Right. Like like that's, um, you know, like so we have like just like a large population of people who are like you know, naturally conservative because they like own a little piece of property that they want to hold on to, Mm -hmm. um, two is we have the color line, which I think is historically a bigger problem. Um, he doesn't deal with that
0: in this book at all though. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And that's how he he deals with both of these So he deals with the problem of a class of small property owners, uh, by trying to just kind of reason with them and say, this helps everybody, right? Like this helps everybody. This is going to help you. And that's right. It's true. Um, this arrangement would help small property owners. You wouldn't have to worry about protecting your small property. You like you're set for life. You can have like a job that you care about and you can have a good life. Um, you don't need to worry about protecting your small property. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, so, so it tries to deal with that and it deals with the color line by not dealing with it. That's like, that's a way that, um, you know, American socialists have historically dealt with the color line in a way that hasn't worked. Um, And so, uh, that's, uh, that's how this book deals with those two issues. And we, we can't have, uh, you know, healthcare in this country because one, you have like a large class of people who have private health insurance, right? Like they're like, well, my health insurance is good. It's I want
0: it's guaranteed money. That's the, that's the amazing thing about healthcare, right? Is, is in Canada, it isn't like I, I say, oh boy, I get to go to the doctor. I, I have free healthcare and I don't ever want to use it. <laughs>
3: I hate well, going well,
0: to the guys, doctor. It's so
3: fucking boring. Taxes, Jesse, somebody pays for your health care. Someone like me, who is a small property <laughs> owner, pays taxes on that small property so that someone like you can go to the doctor. But when I like, need it, think about it,
0: when when one of my relatives gets the cancer or one of my relatives has the stroke, which they've done in the last year, Right. They need to go to that service, and they get the service, and there's some annoying things because the TV in there is a CRT from 1980s, and you have to pay a fee for it. Although, why would you want to watch TV in your hospital room when there's no Wi-Fi? I guess maybe you would, right? There are problems, but when when it comes down to it, if you can make the thing that nobody wants to use but has to use profitable... Then what's your alternative? To die. So that's why now it's impossible to get health care in the states is because it's such a guaranteed return, right? Yeah, no,
3: you're right. And they write policy.
0: And and they absolutely write policy. They've captured both parties. Both parties agree that one thing that's never going to happen is socialized medicine because here's what that cuts out all the money.
3: Healthcare executive, Jesse. Here's what we need to explain to these healthcare executives is that like the system that Bellamy proposes is better for them than the current system. Like the health insurance owners need to know that we need to own their companies because it's better for them. That's what Bellamy is saying. Here. That's what his <laughs> argument is. That's his method for getting to socialize. Right. That and his that's his why, why nothing happens property out of it. Owners.
0: Right. Yeah. Go ahead. That's why nothing happens because you're, you actually need like what's funny is he starts the book off saying there's like labor problems right and then he says that the you know we goes into the future and there's no labor problems everybody's in the universal army and everybody has a, a income equal to everyone else except for some incentives which are to make people go into different industries um it makes sense this is you know i i heard about how the yugoslav uh postal workers had their own special uh, vacation spot, like, all the postal (laughs) workers would go to this special, you know, coastal vacation, and because they're all in the same, you know, union, they all know exactly how much work there's going to be, and they know exactly, it's not really a union, they're all in the same system, they all can have vacations there, because it's all planned out, right? And that's where you go on your vacation. You don't have to go there on your vacation, but if you want to, it's part of your contract, right? Right. Now we don't have that system anymore, That <laughs> now that's all privatized, and if you want to go there, you have to make your negotiations, and there has to be a special uh, profit being made, or it's, right, so everything actually is destroyed by putting the profit incentive on a system that's super easily regulable, like, you know, having postal workers delivering post. postal, there's not a lot of surprises in the postal system, right? It's just a matter of delivering it to the place where it, you already know it needs to go. It's right on there. It's just a matter of getting it there. So we can we can have a system that works, but you're not going to convince the dentists uh, and the doctors, and that's going to solve it. You need to have enough strife at the bottom, I think, to prompt some system to take it. O- I mean. If it goes too far, it ends up being guillotines for everybody, right? Um, and this is, you know, the French Revolution, I think, is so important because it's, it's like one way to go. Another way is the Russian Revolution, which is equally difficult in some respects. And, you know, the counter revolutions against it took a long time to solve,
3: but. Well, and they, and it ultimately succumbed to them, right? Like the, like the Russian Revolution was ultimately defeated in like, like the early nineties, right?
0: Like yeah, yeah, and it's uh, that. I think uh, how that happened is probably uh, it's how do how do we explain that? I think that's not as easy to explain as you know as <laughs> yeah, Reagan that, that, outspent them on nukes. I don't think that that's what it was. I Think they mm-hmm. did some planning errors. And, yeah, and uh,
2: I think we're we're. Will might be right here. So if you look at where the pathos of the novel is, I think this comes off strongest in the, when he dreams he's back in horrible 19th century, right? Mm-hmm. And he's walking the streets and he sees all, it's like, it's like out of Dickens, right?
0: Yeah. Mm.
2: You know, he sees all the, goes to Christmas present. Right? Uh,
0: Although, I, I literally, did you read that Christmas but, in the year 2000? Cause that, there's a quote I want to read from that. Um, but here's the thought
2: on this for then you can read it. It's, yeah. it's, And I think this is where I think Will agrees with this. Um, It's like if you do this, if you do the world this way, you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. It really is like uh, almost reminds you of uh, Oscar Wilde, right? The sole man that socialism. It's Mm. like you can be more individualist and more free and more creative if we have socialism because you're not like, you don't have to worry about charity. You don't have to worry about the politics, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's not that it's a true empathy for those people. Bellamy may have had that, but you can imagine the audience doesn't want to walk through the streets and, and be bothered by that
3: stuff. Yeah, no, that, uh, what, seeing how to kind of get that. Will yeah, no, I mean, I think, I, I think he does like, um, uh, I think he does a very good, his, um, his criticism of, uh, you know, industrial capitalism uh in the 1880s in the united states is i mean it's really good right like he's really he's he's pointing to some things that are are very real and uh like that's why the book can be so touching and i think that's why the book is so popular um yeah yeah but um I, i see what you're saying about uh his uh i mean he does have the the mindset of somebody who's like I don't want to be bothered by uh, pushy sales clerks. I don't want to be bothered by um, urchins on the street. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's like, um, you know, uh, uh, the social contradictions are uh, are inconvenient to me, a middle class person trying to go about my life. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think he has some pathos uh, for. Uh, he's trying. Uh, he's
0: legit, legit trying to solve things in a certain sense. Um, it sounds like when when he's looking backwards on the writing of this, uh, I was reading somewhat about his his explanation for how he wrote it, why he wrote it, and that sort of thing. He may have um, not understood fully his own motivations, but um, in this piece, uh, Christmas in the year two thousand, from January eighteen ninety five, so quite a ways from the original book, right? Um, he. He, It's almost like this is his attack on A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Because A Christmas Carol is a wonderful story. Everybody agrees, right? Patrick Stewart thinks it's the greatest (laughs) stories done a movie. He did an audiobook of it. And if you look at my notes on uh, Next Generation, um, the last episode, which everybody really likes, called All Good Things, a.k.a. Must Come to an End. Um, it is a retelling of The Christmas Carol with with uh, Patrick Stewart taking on the role of Ebenezer Scrooge, um, visiting the past, present, and the future, right? Alternate past, present, and future, and Q being the ghost of uh, Christmas whatever. It, it's really fun. I didn't notice it at the time I watched. It. I really enjoyed the episode. And that's not the first time they've done a Christmas Carol on Next Generation. Um, but this is an attack on A Christmas Carol. Listen to this. This is from near the end of Christmas in the year 2000. Um, uh, And it's very sermon-like. Always Christ was seeking to call men out of the narrow paradise of selfish loves and interests and make them realize the larger ties and greater duties that were theirs as sons, not of men, but of man, as brothers, not of man or that man, but all men. What perversion of the meaning of Christmas could then be more curiously complete, however, pleasing in itself, than the consecration of this day of all days in the year to a family feast with the curtains drawn against the world without? So he's, in this story, he's uh, imagined people going, uh, a person going back to 1887 from the year 2000 and seeing how they deal with both July 4th, uh, Independence Day, and... Uh, Christmas, and uh, July 4th, he sort of dismisses very easily, waves his hand, says, Phew, silly. Uh, but Christmas, he thinks, it, it has been co-opted, and this is the final paragraph of of this. Uh, there hangs upon my study wall a picture, a copy of an old print of the 19th century, representing just such a family feast on Christmas Day, save that the curtains not being closely drawn permit to to be seen, two beggar children with gaunt and pallid faces marked with tears, standing without, covered with the falling snow as they peer in, looking longing, hungry eyes at the festival. It is a picture that tells the whole story and typifies the age. And if you think about what The Chris- uh, Christmas Carol is about, it's about a hard-hearted businessman who doesn't want to give his employee the day off. Um, his His business partner... Uh, has died. He has nothing, right? And he uh, he uh won't even turn the heat on, um, because he's trying to save money for no particular reason. And what's the solution? He's going to, after he gets visited by three ghosts, and Jesus comes into his heart, he gets a Christmas goose and invites them all over for a, a dinner. All problems of society solved. <laughs> right? Well, and that is a brutal... Indictment of the way Christmas under capitalism works. Because if you do pay attention to what Jesus says in the Bible, he's kind of hard on people who are not really trying to give justice to their fellow man, as in help them the fuck out. Not just like, eh, you know, give charity during the food bank year, uh, you know, food, food bank season, give, give a little bit of money. I mean, Food banks are a new thing, right? <laughs> the reason we have them is because oh well we we had soup kitchens before, but now you can you can cook that at home, right? But the idea of, you know, getting out getting it getting out of it through Christian charity, well that's been co-opted, right? So I worry that the world in Edward Bellamy's year 2000 would have been completely co-opted and as Will is suggesting in his subversive reading of this book, um it's propaganda right and it's kind of like the propaganda an american would think about uh as soviet propaganda right about how wonderful everything is under stalin and we know that the production uh is amazing (laughs) because they can produce all those uh t-34s right and we know that they can get to the moon and humble us but uh well, we know that they're or
3: not as the case might be, we
0: know we know that well, or yeah, get in, uh, we can get they can get into orbit or whatever um but if you look at their public and this is like a lot of the the what they think of as owning <laughs> on um on Twitter is they say, you know, oh, look at the Soviet public housing, it's terrible. <laughs> Just like block, concrete block, no style at all. It was like, yeah, but all all those houses have people in them, right? (laughs) And they all have their own home, (laughs) right? So yeah, maybe, maybe it's not the greatest thing because you don't have a, you know, a, a lawn, a front lawn and a back lawn and a white picket fence around your home in the suburb, but you're housed and they weren't housed before. That's why they built those things. The command economy, and you know, like the the one he describes in here, um, it's it's a functioning feedback system. It's not as good. I, I mean, what he's really missing, right? He's somebody claimed I saw in doing his Twitter search um, that the, the internet is described in here with the music rooms, right, and having music piped to your your bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite the internet because you know. I mean, he's he's doing wireless radio without you know why he's doing telephones basically, right? 1887, they had telephones then. He's got he's got the idea, right? So it's kind of the internet, but not really. But he it is a streaming service, (laughs) right? And so what they're really lacking is the the uh, cyber sin, right? The the command uh, control computer that is going to say what the market is demanding and what we need more um, Volkswagens or we need more uh, mobile housing or we need more bridges or whatever it is. I, I'm a, a little worried about the gerontocracy thing that that's going uh, on in yeah. here. Yeah. But other than that, I, I, it's not as hor- assuming that it's not all propaganda and assuming that um, racism was solved somehow just magically, um, in the United States. I think it's it's a it's pretty good system. It's just, it's, it needs some tweaking.
1: Well, he, he so does not can... address... Oh, I was going to say, he doesn't address the racism question at all. No. no. Yeah. But he does say that um, the worst thing about any system which divides men or allows them to be divided into classes and, and castes is what weakens the sense of common humanity. So he, like, he, I, I don't think he knows how to tackle it or, or maybe it didn't yeah. even cross his mind. It's a third rail
0: uh, that he won't touch or um, he just not trying to sell that part of the argument. I don't think he ever, I don't think he ever talked about it in any of the other stuff I looked at. I don't remember seeing him saying that.
1: Yeah. But, but his basic premise though is that he doesn't want to divide anybody into classes and castes and, and, uh,
0: you know, it is, it is also sort of a, um, it, it's got a interesting system for the elite, um, feedback, right? So the prestige is your pay in some cases, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's not that you're getting more cash to spend at the store. It's that people admire that you are doing that. Uh, I'm not sure their legal system's that great, although I think having uh, fewer lawyers is probably a good idea, too. Um, or the need for lo- of few- having fewer lawyers. Sorry, Will.
3: No, I mean, as a matter of principle, I think I agree with you, right? Like, you want um, – uh, your ideal would be, like, a system that, like, uh, people could, like, understand without, like, having to have a specialist guide them through it, right? Right. Like, like, if, like that's what you want the law to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or you want everybody yeah. to know how the law works and make it, you know, uh, maybe uh, have everybody be tutored up to that level, you know? Oh, I, I, I think
2: th- that judges should be drafted just like juries. Hmm. Essentially.
3: Oh, so I, I like so it judges a, by sortition. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's a uh, so you um.
2: Like I think if there's a an issue that needs to go before the, the Supreme Court, shouldn't exist. It should just be if there's a case. Oh yeah. that, that be heard. Should they randomly select, I don't know, fifty three people, some some number, to to hear the case and decide on it. And then the then the issue is like, well, law too complicated, right? Well, why it shouldn't be? I think. I mean, if they, we can hear jury cases
0: and make decisions. It, the judge is supposed to be the one who administers to the jury what should happen yeah. wh- how how to do their job right that's not what judges do though <laughs> that, that i mean some do and it's, it's situations you know we we have uh, both ju- trial by jury and trial by judge up here right yeah. um and i think you have the same pretty much you, you can do you, can you choose to have just trial well, it's by the judge?
2: Trial the system we have, maybe Will knows more about this. But yeah, it, you have, a, most, you have people, a... most things don't go to trial, right? right. Yeah, like, but... say, and then judges at appellate courts and up to the Supreme Court really make all these decisions that have a huge impact on our lives.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I think there's a there, it it operates on a few different levels. So, um, uh, you know, uh, Evans like correct that most um, uh, civil matters, not criminal matters. Um, aren't actually litigated at this point they're they're settled Mm -hmm. or they're uh resolved some other way uh because we've made litigation impossibly expensive in Mm -hmm. the united states we have this process called discovery that like makes lawyers in other country other countries cringe Mm -hmm. where uh before we can even like think about actually litigating something we just have to like shoot requests back and forth at each other, uh, For to get years on insane, end. yeah, get insane amounts of information that it's Dirt. very expensive to process <laughs> and deal with. Yeah. Um, and I mean, so I, uh, you know, I'm an attorney, but, uh, I work in an office that has four people in it, three lawyers and one paralegal. We can't really do litigation, uh, because we don't have the ability to handle discovery. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's kind of a weird thing. Uh, criminal stuff, you have, a you know, a constitutional right uh, at the federal level to trial by jury. Uh, but what happens now is, uh, um, you know, the uh, the prosecutor comes with the charges they want to bring. Uh, you're, uh, uh, you know, the public defender will usually uh, try to negotiate you down to lesser charges. Um, there's a very small number of public defender's offices that actually try cases anymore. Uh, the one up in Louisville, Kentucky is a really good one. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the right to trial by jury has is, is basically been taken away uh, uh, by making it more expensive uh, to uh, uh, litigate things. So uh, you could say that the uh, free market for uh, <laughs> legal services is uh, uh, dominant and uh, the right to trial by jury is secondary. Mm mm-hmm.
4: hmm.
3: I like the idea of picking judges by sortition. By the way, I've always liked uh, elected judges rather than appointed ones. I don't. I don't think appointing a judge like resolves the issue of bias. Uh, But uh, sortition—that's a good idea.
0: Spell sortition sortition across the board. Spell it sortition. How do you spell it? It's just randomocracy. Uh,
3: Ah. A S O R. T I T I O N and yeah, it's it's choosing of people's position by lot or like leaders by lot. Mm. Um, uh. It's uh you know uh, assuming that uh, the pool of people are uh, capable of taking on the position. It's one of the better ways of picking a leader. Mm-hmm.
0: It's probably how uh, you, instead of vote, <laughs> you should say cast. You know, this week uh, Americans with blue checks are telling other Americans without blue checks and also with blue checks to vote and then who they voted for. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, that's not going to solve you know, most of what's going on here. Um, but yeah, if you cast, cast your stone, <laughs> yeah. pick your stone, <laughs> That that would definitely shake things up. <laughs> maybe in a Shirley Jackson sort of way, but <laughs> maybe that's what we need. Well, it's what some so, people need. I don't know. So
2: how many of you looked at, uh, Frederick Jameson's proposal?
0: Okay. So is that the video or, well, there's, it's, there's a book,
2: okay. which I shared with you guys called an American utopia, dual power of the universal army. Okay. Frederick Jameson, like the first hundred pages is his proposal, which is basically summarized in the video. Mm-hmm. You can find it on, youtube and then there's a response from um uh what, stanley aronowitz. aronowitz who actually i voted for for like governor of new york one year when i was living in new york he was like yeah i like him up. a lot was um yeah, I, thought, I thought his response was a bit i i think he's too much of like the 60s like the army sucks kind of kind of a gut reaction against the military uh that kind of i found it a little bit distracting but yeah, I think he's he's a he's a labor historian by training. Right. But this book, it's Frederick Jameson. And then like half the book or more than half the book are responses by uh, some of these names I know, some I don't. Jody Dean, Agon Hamza, Kim Stanley Robinson. Who, yeah, that's you know, a story, he's your, though, right? He's 21st century utopian, if you need Yeah, he's it. he's good. Uh, Alberto Toscano, Kathy Weeks, and Slavoj Zizek, and some others. Yeah, so, so I read some of that. I didn't read the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, but the, the video, which is like an hour talk, which summarizes the idea, is essentially to do kind of a Bellamy kind of thing. He's inspired by Bellamy, a little bit of Morris, if you read the book. Um, and
4: uh, yeah, Fourier.
2: Fourier, yeah, that's the other big one. But essentially he's got this idea of dual power. So the idea of dual power is like, you don't have necessarily like a violent revolution. You just create new institutions of government parallel to the existing government. And eventually they take it over. Right.
3: Well, so like, there's, even there's if you look at the American revolution, eventually,
2: even if you look at the American revolution, like long before you had the declaration of independence, you had those colonial legislatures, you had these committees of correspondence, you had all these different institutional things that were doing a lot of the governing at the local level that the British weren't doing. So when the British came and said, we're going to pass this tax, people were like, well, why? We got, you know, we're kind of doing fine on our own. So, and I think this idea comes from Lenin, and Jameson talks about this, but he thinks the only institution that can provide this now in the U.S. is the army. So his proposal is universal conscription. Um, And then from that and then the army essentially does everything the economy does.
0: <laughs> I wa I, I watched a um this is in the summer. I watched a really I, I got down a really weird YouTube and internet hole uh about the country of Djibouti. You guys know about this country? Yeah. Okay, so Djibouti is like it's it's uh near the Horn of Africa. It's you know, on the path between Suez and the Indian Ocean. It's where the pirates are. <laughs> it's the Gulf of Aden, right? It's 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 everything about you know naval power and uh, failed states and all this stuff. And it, it it's a it's an incredibly strange country because it has military bases from China, uh, I think India, United States, I think Italy, uh, a couple other countries like all inside this tiny little country that basically the reason it exists as this kind of country is because it has a a harbor. And uh, I was like, this is really weird. So I watched some videos about people who go to visit this country, um, you know, like, (laughs) as tourists. And it's a hellhole. It's probably the worst place you can imagine because it gets almost all of its money by renting out military bases to all these foreign nations. And the government is propped up by this, and they don't, you know, do much. The streets are covered in garbage. It's really horrible, right? I'm sure it's fine for the few elites who live behind their walls, but the police, uh, you know, want to issue a permit to take photographs of things, and then you go a couple blocks down, they want another permit, right? So... Basically, it's it's a horrible dystopia created by a bunch of foreign military bases, um, and their geography.
2: But, but that's that's not the that's, that's uh, a bad, but, kind of counter argument. I
0: think. But yeah, there's a uh, the I looked into the U.S. military base there. It's called Camp Le Monnier, and one of the cool things about YouTube is, um, it's used by the U.S. military to explain stuff to its uh, I was going to say employees, but I guess it's soldiers or sailors. So it's a video. A b- there's actually a bunch of them called "Welcome to Camp Le Monnier," and it's a you know an officer and a sergeant and or you know some junior grade guy giving you a tour of the base and how you're going to function when you arrive. Um, and it is. Perfectly serviceable, right? There's a gym during your off hours. You can do this. There's tours of the countryside. Uh, you're um, provided with this. Here's the company store, right? The base store. Um, you're permitted to do this. Your stay here is maybe not going to be your favorite one, but we provide air conditioning. And we, you know, if if you're in this rank, you get to have this co housing. And if you're above this rank you get, right? So it's basically a tour of life under uh, Universal Army, except it's actually the Navy, right? It's literally what it's like to be in the Navy at this base, and they give you the tour, and they show you what your life will be like, and, you know, how much internet costs, it's not that expensive, and, you know, this is subsidized, and there's classes for this, and, right? It's it's what life is like when you're in the army. Your meals are provided not by, uh, you know, your local friend who knows how to cook, but by a specialist who's being supplied by, uh, you know, outside. And if you don't like the food that's being served, um, you can petition to change it. But more importantly, you can also just buy extra food at the at this place or you can eat off off base. Right. It's life under socialism in the Navy, in the army. One of the ways they keep you from, you know, not renewing your contract, keep you in, is by trying to give you little incentives besides pay, right? Make your life a little better. Hot showers, right? Yeah, the water is scarce in this region, but we do provide, like, it, it what's so interesting is they're trying to make it as easy for you as possible to stay in, right? Because they do have attrition. People don't like the low pay, and they don't like the fact that they're, you know, droning people and and other things. It's hard. So when you're at this camp, you're going to see what life... And of course the healthcare is free. Of course it is. And of course they have talented and trained surgeons. And of course they have dentists. And they cut your hair. And some things you have to pay for, but it's not much. And if you want to save your money, they have on-base banking. Right? And if you don't like that restaurant, well, we have a subway. <laughs> right? So there's... It's a mixed system, but it's 100% socialism.
2: Yeah, and, and if, we, if we want to go back to Star Trek for a second, yes,
0: like, we actually
2: don't know that much about like, Earth society. No. Even if you watch all the Star Trek, you don't. What you know a lot about is Starfleet. Yes. They're socialist, for sure. Mm-hmm. But, beyond that, I don't know, like... Doesn't, like, Cisco's dad have a little restaurant? Yeah, uh, yeah, You know, something like that. There's, like, little glimpses, but, you know, you really can't say if they're socialist, but Starfleet certainly is. I, I,
0: and, and the fact that, so. notice that there's no mess. Ten forwards as close as they have to a mess. Everybody eats in their room, right? They have a replicator. Nobody knows how to cook except for Riker and... uh uh, Cisco's dad and Cisco, I guess, right?
1: And Captain Cisco too.
0: Yeah, that, uh, Cisco, Cisco's dad, and Riker all Neelix. know how to cook. Neelix, okay. Well, he's an alien. <laughs> he doesn't count. <laughs> he comes so, so from a different system. Only,
3: only sex magnets know how to cook. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, that's one of the way of attracting mates in the new society, right? Is to learn the trombone. <laughs> Works for Riker. That <laughs> in the beard. I, I, I think that it, it, if you, if you do, if you're going to sell the United States on, on uh, socialism, it, 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 the easiest way would just to be draft everybody, right? Now, of course, draft yeah. is out. And, and uh, the elites do not want this, especially if there's going to be conflict. But a universal army that is peaceful, that isn't about killing things and, you know, nuking things and, bombing things. Um it can get a lot done. Because Well I think his
2: his argument Just a bunch argument, of professionals. Is, essentially a universal army can't fight wars. Like if you have universal description it couldn't fight wars of aggression.
0: Uh, if, yeah. If, the Japanese have might have something to like say democracy. against that, right? I mean you got I was thinking
2: of like the Hoplites. The Hoplites? Greeks, yeah okay. But that wasn't democratic across society, right? But imagine if slaves and women we're in the hopelite armies. Mm. Would you have wars of aggression? You know, if Greece was more democratic than it was.
0: Well, it wasn't. It was each city, right? Military service. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah you don't have. Uh, mo- most of the military today is not pointy end, right? It's the supports, it's the, yeah. um, the doctors, the dentists, the hair cutting specialists, the guys who pull the ropes or service the machines that pull the ropes on the aircraft carrier, except they're not ropes, they're cables, right? Um, That I I think I mentioned years ago to you guys um, this really interesting uh, documentary series. I think it might have been called Carrier. Yeah, it was done by PBS, and it was about life on a military, U.S. military, Navy carrier in the Gulf of Aden um, during the Iraq War. Uh, I think it was 2005, 2007, something like that. Um, and most of the, most of the people on there were just putting in their time to get that thing they needed, which is education. We get a little money, get out of that shitty small town that's fucking them up, filled with drugs and, uh, crime. And they wanted to change their life. And, uh, they had heard about it and they got the job and now they're there and they don't know why they're attacking this small country, but they just there to do their job. And some people are uh, for it, and some people are against it. But the main thing that's the takeaway is that uh, there's some kind of difficult rules, you know, no sex with a fellow female sailors, you know, on board ship, that's not on. You can't do that. And whatever you do, do not get pregnant because that ruined your career in the military. (laughs) Like, it's, there are problems in Under socialism in a military. But the problems are different kinds of problems than starvation. And it's different kinds of problems than, um, you know, homelessness. Because everybody's housed. Even, even if you're, you know, in the brig, you're still housed and you're still fed and you still get your hair cut. So yeah, that is a way to go. But I don't think, I don't think that, you know, it would prevent war as much as reduce the likelihood in some cases i mean you could argue that the reason the japanese were uh, so warlike in the early 20th century is because they had not one military but three militaries right or two major militaries the navy and the army
3: and yeah
2: they're kind of competing for resources that's right so if, yeah, if,
3: I mean, if i think in that era you were either an imperialist country or you were a country that was going to be colonized right indeed um <laughs> uh, so so you know uh japan was trying to but, like kind of turn the tables
0: indeed and they did
3: uh yeah at the expense of you know uh uh a lot of terrible things mm-hmm. um so Here's my problem with Frederick Jameson's book is I don't understand who the audience uh, for it is or like who the audience. For Dude, did you watch is. the
0: video? It's entirely clear. There's uh, f- yeah, well
3: that's 14 minutes. I'm trying to be generous here. 14
0: minutes of congratulations to all the professors and all the books they wrote. That's who the audience is
3: yeah and so i don't think that that is like a natural base for socialism of course it isn't movement (laughs) um so i think it's like basically a useless proposal (laughs) although here's what i liked about what uh jameson said is you know he points out that the left used to have a political program called revolution Mm -hmm. and um you know uh you know he's giving a speech to all these like uh, wizened professors and like all these like wannabe uh, wizened professors yeah well so he's giving a speech to wizened professors he's giving a speech to like grad students who are about to get ground up mm-hmm. and yeah uh, but I,
2: I listened to the grad students questions and I thought they s- didn't really understand his paper like <laughs> the questions were like off the rails
3: yeah, well, um, my question is,
2: is like, well, what role will internet play in the revolution or something? And,
3: well, and, like, and it's clear is that is playing. Jameson yeah. is playing. He's openly playing. Um, uh, and what he's saying is that uh, you know, so revolution can't be a program right now. I don't re- remember when he wrote this book, so whatever. Um, two, uh, two. Um, he's saying the the reformist parties, uh, the democratic socialist parties, the parties like the NDP um uh you know the the political trend represented by Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn are uh you know unable to do anything right now like they can have programs but they can't do anything i mean what's implied by this is uh so so it's either uh so either like the Bernie Sanders of the world are uh are able to deliver on some form of like green new deal right or like like revolution is actually the political program of the left in the future right? Yeah. It's frustrating. No, but I mean, right. I mean, and I'm a revolutionary, right? So I'm like pushing this, but uh, like, like the point is, like so if Frederick Jameson is saying like, the reformists actually can't do anything, uh, we don't have the political program of revolution, so I'm just going to make up stuff because it's like entertaining to me. Um, yeah, it's not experiments.
2: Yeah, well, one of the response essays to the, in the original book, which I haven't read, so I'm just going with the title, frank ruda jameson and method on comic utopianism <laughs> so that article may agree with you that he's just playing around
3: i, I think jameson but it is a utopia he's saying this
2: is like isn't all a utopia sort of playing around
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, we so should like, we should bring like it like to what utopia isn't isn't a, is a game like
0: yes we should bring it to the star trek communist this guy on twitter <laughs> because uh,
3: he, he, he would happily come on our show to like propagandize for uh, his publication socialist revolution like, if, you know, like, but uh, but the
0: people he he he's trying to convert to me they're they're absolutely not the people who are going to do any kind of
3: revolution no yeah. it, it, i think that uh um you know with like love and respect to like our friends in the international marxist tendency like like they like their whole like approach is just like i'm going to like come at you about something that is like not really related to what i'm for and i like anime will you join the socialist party (laughs) or it's like i like the ndp do you want to get into trotskyism like (laughs) um, like that's that that's what the politics are yeah um and you know uh i've had a close relationship with these people over the years so i like like have a lot of opinions about them um but uh yeah yeah i mean uh respect for the star trek communists but i uh there's like some triumphalism to his approach right he needs to go
0: to the waffle house um
3: yeah yeah and talk uh, to the
0: waffle uh, house employees about star trek
3: and like, and talk to the Waffle House employees about Star Trek, and replicate and, like, some phasers for them. Beautiful. You have to wear <laughs> for the guys Yeah, and put those uh, phasers uh, on heavy stun. But he's like declared victory in terms of like his like gimmick. He thinks it's like very successful at like at like raising class consciousness or something. So, um, so he's calling on like somebody to become the Star Wars communist, and on somebody else to become the Lord of the Rings communist. And, like, <laughs> like but this is like like a primary avenue of like, cultural propaganda at this time. Oh my god! Is is to like uh, like create these like branded identities? Uh, I, I mean,
2: he might be onto something. Like, I've kind of sworn off. TV at least till the new year. I <laughs> might watch the stand when it comes You're out. You're gonna to watch TV Star Trek, Trek for but the rest of the year. I've been watching Star Trek. I'm not, I'm not gonna watch. I'm not gonna finish Lovecraft Country. I'm not gonna watch Raised by Wolves. None of that stuff no. until 2021.
3: Uh, and then you'll become the Lovecraft Country <laughs> communist.
2: <laughs> yeah. The reason why is because every conversation I have at work, and here's why I think the the Star Trek communist has a point here. Every conversation at work is like, you got to watch this. Mm-hmm. My my my. my my coworker gave me Banshee, like first season of Banshee, mm-hmm. on like his on the little stick, the, the little drive, the little drive. drive, yeah, those little things. And I put it on my computer. I haven't watched it. He, he, every day it's like, have you watched Banshee yet? You're gonna like it. There's a lot of violence. and sex. It's good. It's and not good. It's good. It's not good. I haven't watched <laughs> it. I've been watching Star Trek, and it's just like, but it's not just that. It's like every conversation at work is this TV show. Yeah, And I can't keep up, so I'm kind of checking out for a few months. But well, you, know, it's,
3: it's, but, you don't but need to do this, though, Evan, because the Communist the Party is in, in power in China. <laughs> the yeah. Communist Party is in power in China, so you don't need to become, like, the, like, Banshee communist to, like, spread communism in China. You need to become, like, the Lovecraft Country communist and spread communism back to the United States over the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: Look, my my point is just uh, that that seems to be all we talk about anymore is TV. Even us sometimes before the show. So what are you watching these days? Well, so if you can can corrupt that with communism and change people's minds. That's the thing is,
0: is he can actually he can actually like uh, uh, there's a uh, uh, this is it's really interesting. Uh, There's a guy who follows me on Twitter. Um, he, I think his Twitter name is Jim Howard or something like that. He's, he says he's kin to Robert E. Howard. I, I don't disbelieve him. Lots of people named Howard moved to Texas. He's from Texas. Makes sense, right? Probably 13th cousin or whatever. Um, uh, and he, he was like weirded out about me tweeting about something, I guess, socialist related. Not that I tweet a lot of socialist stuff. That's not really what I do. Ah. Um, I'm more of a take downer than a put upper, but uh, um he he was like he's like, How could you believe this crazy shit or something? and i'm like well i I believe that uh we're better off with fire departments, and that's socialism. I believe that <laughs> when I get uh into a car accident i w- I want the most expensive part of the uh the trauma to my life to be the repairing of the car, not the repairing of my body you know like it, it and when i explained explained to him what socialism is just as like you know it's having uh bridges paid for not by individuals who want to bridge that creek but just having roads paved and 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 you know fire trucks that are servicing all of the community instead of the one he was like oh yeah that makes sense i'm like of course <laughs> but if you if if what do they teach in school Right, it ain't that, and that's not what the oh. TV shows are about, right? It doesn't say it doesn't. There isn't like a sixteen-part series about the history of of social systems in the United States. It's better to watch fiction because then people can just you know zone out and not question. It it really is. A, that's the scary thing about school, and and kind of what scared me the most in this book is having the test, right, the the one that I dread so much that made China the way it is, and the way makes students from China the way they are, and the one that I guess Evan has to deal with all day long, right, is that the test is the determining factor. And whoever makes the test is in control. So if you want to control people, just Control what's on the test and control how, uh, what answers are acceptable and what, more importantly, what questions are acceptable. So <coughs> it, it, that's, that's the real way is to somehow get in behind the defenses. You need, you need to have like a, a YouTube revolution where somebody is somehow not de enough so that they're gone, right? Out of the, the common, uh, understanding. But like, you know, the people who are s- sort of saying, Saying Doing pretty solid analysis and not particularly partisan, not bought in. Like, the Justice Democrats, remember them? Completely co-opted. Yeah. 100% co-opted. And it's partly done by the people allowing themselves to be co-opted. But, you know, the people who are still lauding it as a great organization have themselves been co-opted, Right. Oh, AOC might say uh, a few nice things here and there, but she's voting for Biden. She's not changing anything. She's going to push him once he's in office? I don't think so. That's not going to happen. You can try and push him. And what is his answer going to be when before you had some actual leverage? You're not going to have any leverage after.
3: Well, AOC is running for president is what AOC is doing.
0: But my point is, is like, that, that, that solution didn't work and it's not going to work. So you have to have it like, like you, you do have to have it like a, I want to say YouTube revolution, but the problem is YouTube controls what you see, right? They, they will recommend things that you don't want to see. And because you don't know about the other stuff, if you, you know, it's like the same with Google, right? Google totally controls what you see. And so we like I was I was thinking this week, maybe I should just be become a duck duck-go guy. I don't want to become a duck duck-go guy. But I might have to become a duck duck-go guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> because it's not as good for finding the the thing I was looking for last week because I know how to work Google pretty well. But it's like when I decided I'm not gonna be an Apple guy anymore. I just had to do it, right? You just have to do it. At some point, you have to... So, we need to, like, think... Uh, it, it isn't going to happen through academia. That's for fucking sure. It might happen by somebody writing a really popular book, right? It might be that uh, a bunch of Twitter communists get behind <laughs> behind uh, popular TV shows and instill a, a lack of hatred. I mean, what the, the, the popular opinion of young people towards the word socialist is uh, there was some story yesterday about, about, um, oh yeah, it was one of the, um, stupid, uh, uh, Republican Marco Rubio was saying, not all socialists are Democrats, but all Democrats, all, no, not all Democrats are socialists, but all socialists are Democrats. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> no, <laughs> it was like just the most ridiculous thing. And the thing is, is it, 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 it actually, in his mind, is probably true, because he just doesn't know, right? If you if you're in soaking in that shit, you cannot understand how how it could be different. You you need to have it like yeah, like I, I always think of when I go on vacation, I don't really want to go on vacation. What I want to do is I want to move to a small town in Italy and live there for three months. Then I'll understand it. Right? Six months might be better. I've moved to a small town in, uh, Australia. Live there for six months. Then I'll understand it. Visiting it, you, you get a, you get a sense, you get some ideas, but it's not really what it is, right? Until you, somebody puts it in your hand and says, this is what it is. This, uh, this thing's hot. This thing smells good. This thing smells this way. You don't really understand it. And so, so this, um, this book's incredible popularity like just exploding in popularity is because there was a recognition that something was wrong but it 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 wasn't on the it wasn't in the hands of the audience that needed it kind of and it was selling the message as you say to dentists rather than to like how how did how did the Re- Russian Revolution happen? I think it's because it's because the war, right?
3: That's well, yeah, the, yeah, it was I mean, the war. Yeah, that's the that I mean. So like the war is like the aggravating feature, but it also like like the infrastructure to make the Russian Revolution happen had been being built for decades, right, by revolutionaries. Sure, but the but the thing that
0: really sold it, the thing that made it happen, was this fucking ridiculous war. And, you know, that that wouldn't happen in the States. You know, no matter how much uh, Wilson, you know, locks down the laws and sends everybody off into this very brief war, it's not going to happen. But the bonus army coming back, that almost happened, right? That almost did something. I guess it did do something. There's a, there. It's not going to be done by a guy writing an academic paper and giving it, a speech and congratulating all the students who were enthusiastically. I, I, I couldn't believe that video. I was watching it from the beginning because I couldn't find the stop to start. Uh, Evan had mentioned, I think it's like 44 minutes. So I started watching it from the beginning and it's like that we're talking about doing this certificate. And then there was a joke about how, uh, it was all going to help them get jobs. And there was like a, almost a laugh from the audience.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think
0: you have to skip
2: yeah. the first 10 minutes to get to actually James and talk.
0: But, but that's my point is, is like, you know, if we started this podcast with 15 minutes of introduction about who Evan is and how many papers he's written. By the way, everybody should go listen to his podcast. It's really good. I was thinking about, uh, I, I, you should give me an award, Evan. I should give, uh, uh an award to Mysa. Mysa should give an award to, uh, Will, and then we'll, we'll all, uh, bootstrap each other up into, uh, popularity. What do you think? <laughs> if I give you a certificate of, of, of quality entertainment, uh, not qu- quality ed- edification <laughs> and Micey gives one to Will, then we'll, we'll, we can make our own fake in- Trump University sort of thing <laughs> but and yeah, grift, uh, the, the, grift the, the shit out of this. Institute. What do you think? The Willis,
3: so the Willis Institute?
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't want my name attached to it, but I think it's a funny joke.
3: So, so we then, the the, Scott then?
1: <laughs> So the way then into it is for everybody to go to sleep and wake up huh. and spend six months in this utopia. Yeah, put it in your, your hands.
0: Or seven uh, hours in this utopia, right? Is what it did for most of the those those well, club you members, those about, dentists. You said,
1: I can't know Italy unless I go and spend three months in Italy. Then mm-hmm. I'll know Italy.
0: Yeah, I'll know so, well, I'll know that town anyways, and I'll know
1: um, I'll know that town but i'm like like how do you ch- like i mean it's obviously nobody knows the answer but i mean
0: this um, is what the peace corps was supposed to do right
1: yeah
0: right it, it, it was actually tr- the opposite truly yeah but that was how it was sold to you right it, i mean really it's it's you it, basically you're working for the clinton foundation <laughs> you know building a school while uh You know, stealing resources from your own government. Something like that. Um, But, yeah. uh, I I don't... But the thing is, is books can be powerful, right? So...
3: Yeah.
0: This uh, book was one of them. It it was, (laughs) but it it didn't... It's not, like, compared to um, the works of Marx, which... Well, Mark's perf- had
3: better ideas than like he
0: had better place. ideas but he also had <laughs> he he also had like um, people saying look fellow comrade who's working in this terrible factory um, there's this thumb drive I'm gonna give to you you take it home you stick it in your computer instead of watching Star Trek watch <laughs> Das Capital <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean it's more like they would have cultural events too right? But yes. the uh, I mean, the, the fundamental difference between Bellamy's um, like nationalism and Marx's scientific socialism is this like the author of Marx's scientific socialism is the proletariat itself. Marxist pro- Marxist political strategy is uh, what they used to call the merger formula. And that's like you want to unite the socialist movement with the labor movement. There shouldn't be like daylight between them. Mm-hmm. It should be the same thing. Um, here he's saying like my nationalism, which, I mean, he's intentionally not calling it socialism or communism. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an intentional choice that he's made. It's a very American choice that he's made. Um, uh, like he's saying fellow people who read books, like, isn't like, you know, aren't these dirty, illiterate people, terrible, like let's solve this problem. Another
0: way, to, another way to do it is you get, you, you, you take the body of Donald Trump and you re- replace it with the, the brain of Star Trek communists. And the mouth of Trump, right? Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> because but if, if you, think-
0: if you, if you walk around yelling at, uh, the elites, shaming them, and then you back it up with an actual program rather than, you know, just, I'm the best. Nothing was great until I made it great. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I'm talking to all the best people. Like you, if you actually like, cause people want, uh, the reason Trump has a basis supporters besides, you know, uh, racists who do support him. Um, and there, I don't think that that's the ma- majority of the reason he's supported. The reason they like him is because he was sticking it to the system. They may still f- fall for that. But if you backed it up with like his personal support comes from his fact that he will stick it to the people who need to be stuck. Right? So if you, if you put that power in a, a, ve- a vessel like him, it would be possibly changing, right? I mean the, the 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 real problem is a combination of the elites, the dentists, right, and more importantly all the Rachel Maddow audience, right? And the and the the deep state aka you know the people in all the bureaucracies, right? And more importantly, that the elites of those bureaucracies who are determined to, you know, control the system and not, you know, have their kingdom, their fiefdoms taken down by, you know, uh, the their, homeland security is not going away, right? But if if you could have some way of taking them down, if you could have some way of taking the CIA down, you could have some way of taking the FBI down, right? Cutting them away until they're you know libertarian sized that would solve a lot of problems because you could get some shit done but that's not going to happen i guess so i i don't see a path forward for you guys i i, I it feels very despairing
3: mm-hmm. oh i mean i'm an optimist uh i just the uh the issue is like um So the fundamental, like, problem for uh, the workers' movement right now, I think, uh, is, like, how to communicate its ideas um, to, like, people generally. So what everybody seems to agree on right now is that our, like, goal is to, like, basically try to harness uh, the bourgeois media and we'll, like, use that to, like, uh, make our case as much as we can. That's not gonna we have our Twitter and some other things, which are also owned by the bourgeoisie, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, there's there's smaller like, you know, there's nonprofit publications and, and smaller things that don't have a very big audience. But um, you know, there's this idea that uh uh the left has to find the right spokesperson and then like that person will break through and I mean, I think what you're seeing in, uh, you know, the United Kingdom and the United States is, I mean, the media aren't going to let, like, like, uh, um, somebody like Jeremy Corbyn, like, actually make his case to the people through the media, right? Like, so there has to be some other mechanism for reaching people. Mm. Um, and so this book is actually, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's alternative media, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know who the original publisher was and, like, what other kinds of books they were publishing. But, uh, you know, th- there's a uh, – as long as, like, the means of communication are totally in control of people who just, like, like are, like, fairly comfortable with how things are or don't want uh, any real big changes to happen. Uh, and since, like, most of the media are owned by, like, what, like, four corporations or something? Six, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like we're yeah. It's just uh, I mean, I think five. that the the need for alternative media are just always going to um it it's just evergreen um because most of the media are controlled by like uh you know people who are trying to um you know suppress uh, positive things uh and so there's so there's the the communication aspect of it and then there's uh there's no way around the need for organization right what's different between uh, Bellamy's era and our era is um uh julian west is able to ask oh the nationalist party was that one of the workers parties so that means that there were actually multiple like organizations of working people uh in bellamy's boston with like different ideas about like what they needed to be doing uh but those people were organized um and so uh you know people have to get organized if they have like political ideas they want to act on they have to like uh come together to do that um Uh, what, um, my friends in, uh, Lexington are working on these days is they're trying to build a tenants union, which, uh, I know I've uh, talked about that here before, but I I think that's a, that's an area where we're seeing more and more tenants unions being built around the United States, uh, these days. Mm -hmm. Um, and and they're not really a a common feature of the American political landscape either. So, uh, you know, you have some older tenants unions in some of the bigger cities and then you have newer tenants unions that are kind of uh, a little bit scrappier. Uh, And just a a broad uh, spectrum of kinds of things that these organizations do. Uh, But I I think that's good. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think that the uh, like uh, like the the people in this country are like totally licked yet. uh, But we just have some serious barriers uh, to progress in the United States, which, uh, as it turns out, like uh, present serious uh, barriers to progress all over the world because of uh, the importance of America and the world system.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you talk about the NDP. Um, you know, they're not powerful, not. But in comparison, they're incredibly powerful. But until until the United States really gets its shit sorted out, we can't we can't do anything. Like uh, the daylight savings time <laughs> in BC is determined by what Washington, Oregon, and and California will do, not by what because we know what we want to do we want to stop it but we can't and it's it's uh, politically a lot of stuff is like that right if we if we're like one of my uncles he said um we're never going to legalize marijuana jesse and i'm like well i don't know about that um uh because the americans you know they won't allow it and i'm like well yeah i mean you're right right And it's mostly, you know, it's legal now, mostly, but getting it, you know, getting a permission to do a store, it's not like just opening a pop-up store. You have to, you know, go through a bunch of hoops and they want to kind of keep it regulated and, right? So uh, the reason that was sort of possible and that Justin was permitted to allow us this privilege is because there was some, you know, waffling in the United States. Right? Oh, some Colorado's going. Okay, and California looks like it's going. Is Texas going? Okay. Well, the uh, federal government still doesn't like it, but they don't, ju- like, they just sort of abandon the game, right? So, it 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 seems like the current the current path is it, it's like, well, just keep swapping Republican administrations, right? Uh, and or, you know, Republican, republican light administration. It, it, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like a revolution is on the offing. On the other hand, there's been, you know, rioting in in uh, Oregon for 180 days or something now. Is that rioting? I don't know. Street demonstrations? Something. There's actions there's in been,
3: the, There's been civil disturbance. Civil disturbance. That's a good way of putting yeah, it. Yeah. I'm not I paying that, that, that close virtual. attention,
0: but it, it is continuous, right? Um. And that that is kind of unprecedented.
3: Well, and they have a real problem with fascists in that part of the world, right? Yeah. Like,
0: well, I mean, uh, I think wherever you have police in the United States, you have a problem with fascists. Because,
3: yeah, but I mean, in I mean, in the Pacific Northwest, oh, or specifically, uh, Oregon, like, Oregon had a lot of
0: white supremacists move there. Yeah. So uh, that that is a strain of, uh, you know, it, Oregon's a, kind of weird. It's funny because, um, uh, Mice, you probably didn't see this, but. Uh, they were talking about the V uh, Vancouver Police uh, because there's Vancouver, Washington, or mm-hmm. it's right on the border with Oregon, right? And I was thinking about how it, it, that that was the lower border for for this province when it was a colony. and you know then there was the 5440 or fight <laughs> where the border was settled at the 49th part. like things could have been a lot different, but because Oregon you know, we had that game, remember Oregon Trail people people who went there were not satisfied with the places they were and they brought their values and their values were not and still not um, the same as other parts of the states. It's it, the United States is a weird country because it is a whole bunch of different countries I, with the ability to change to you know mobile mobilize and move within it. It's kind of weird that way, right? It's not like France where France is relatively homogeneous or uh Germany which is relatively homogeneous, right? They all speak the same language, but yeah, United States is kind of weird. It's got that north south thing, it's got that east west thing. It's got, you know, Louisiana, it's Florida. It's it's kind of weird and and who's who can who can handle it? I don't know.
1: Canada has it to us a, a lesser we degree. We do. We do. Because when we're big countries,
0: yeah, we do. We have we have different. We have north south, we have the west and the east and Quebec Northwest. and the Maritimes, yeah. but yeah. Uh, but also we sort of leave each other the fuck alone. Generally, yeah, that's the difference, right? I mean, <laughs> Alberta's always complaining about stuff, and you know, Quebec complains, but only Ottawa listens, right? So, so, Quebec
3: complains, but only Ottawa listens.
0: That's well, really good. It's, it's Ottawa's like across the river, right from Quebec, and that's on purpose.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, 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 we've got like I don't feel like we're anywhere close to the problems that even Britain is having. Britain's political system is is fucked up right now too, and it's a fucking up of their own fu- uh, their own fucking over. It, <sighs> It, it, is that because they got Vril <laughs> instead yeah. of instead yeah. of uh, this book? I, Canada doesn't have a national utopian book, I don't think.
3: No, uh, looking southward,
0: <laughs> Heartland hinterland is is like uh, <laughs> we have the log drivers waltz. That's what we have, <laughs> Lumb, uh, lumberjacks and. Uh, Pancakes and maple syrup, that's what unites the West and the East. Right,
1: the Canada geese.
0: That's right. Loons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Whippoorwills. (laughs) Loons and bears. (laughs) This has been the SFF Audio Podcast please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.
3: I heard his lecture, but I didn't read his book, no.
2: Same kind of stuff.
0: The book's
3: kind of Save it.
0: This is getting too close to the actual topic. So we have to talk about chocolate from and pumpkins. I don't know. Something
3: else. Oh, yeah, yeah. How I'll did everybody...
0: You'll be back in a few minutes. Uh, a I, few minutes. Um, I, I sat at home eating Halloween candy. Watching, nice. watching Deep Space Nine.
2: How <laughs> oh. long? Deep Space Nine?
0: Yeah, I started Deep Space Nine because I finished we, all of TNG.
2: You must have started like in the middle of Season 2 and then came around.
0: Yes, I did. I started, yeah. uh, I think, with the outrageous O'Kona, or maybe the one right before that.
2: Oh, i that's the one with Terry Hatchett. Like I, I've been kind of following you, but much later.
0: Yeah. I've I been um, making notes uh, on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what's really interesting is... If you look at it, like, try and narrow your perspective somehow, you know, um, like, I'm looking at uniforms and, like, yeah, like, O'Brien starts off as a lieutenant. (laughs) He's demoted. Does he? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Actually, he starts as a
0: lieutenant junior junior grade in the the pilot. He's on the battle bridge uh, in a red uniform. And then he's gone for most of first season, I think. And then he's back as a transporter chief in the second season, or maybe he's a full it's lieutenant. yeah, okay. as a full lieutenant. They call him lieutenant. Um, yeah. He's like he's like he's higher than Worf. <laughs> later on Deep Space Nine, he's been demoted, like so that uh, Julian Bashir, lieutenant junior grade, is he's giving him. I just watched the storyteller last night, which is not a great episode. Um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> he's like been demoted mm-hmm. to uh, uh, a very low rank <laughs> all these years on the Enterprise he was an officer it's
2: funny. I've been noticing like that first and second season of Next Generation was a lot better than like a lot of people seem to complain about it or say like it really took off in the third season or. Third well season that's really what I thought to too good. but some of those yeah, the characters aren't as maybe figured out as well. The mm-hmm. writers don't quite know what they're doing with some of the characters, but
0: there's some like good sci-fi concepts. Yeah, and there's some like, weak episodes old... in there, too, but yeah.
2: Yeah, there's like the one where I noticed that well, brian has got two pips. Is that like Pulaski's getting old and mm. uh, somehow like the antibodies are attacking viruses externally and it yep. didn't make any sense, but um, there's a few episodes like that, but I don't know. It's like it's a lot more good than bad. I think.
0: I agree, and and in comparison to Jesus Christ, the the latest um, stuff about Discovery. Are, are you watching this, um, Will? Who's like? Good. I said
3: I've seen one and a half seasons of Discovery. Oh, well, that's more um, than me. Yeah, yeah, but like uh, But I like the- Discovery, but it's it's not exactly Star Trek. It like feels more like Star Wars. But, like, the thing they're, they're touting
0: is, like, the first, I don't know, was it gender neutral? I don't know. They're, they're, they've they're got a care like, they're really excited about there's a non-binary I, character I don't or something.
3: I think gender neutral is, like, a term that... I know, I'm trying to figure from. out what, I'm <laughs> trying to remember what <laughs> it is. You mean gender queer? I
0: think it's... No, it's not yeah. queer. That's not the word they used. I
1: think it's non-binary. It's yeah, no, I think oh, it's okay. a
0: non-binary. Yeah. No, it's
1: like your niece.
0: Like my niece. We'll see. Except I can't call her a niece if she's
3: <laughs>
4: see
1: well,
3: there. There's no vocab I, word. I mean, I think that one of the terms that gets used is nibbling, but I don't know if that's like popular enough for you to use publicly. Oh my god, nibbling! <sighs> like, um, it's like you're like like you take the in from like niece and nephew, and you put it in front of sibling. That's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> oh. I thought it was something kinkier than that.
3: Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, but uh, yeah, but I, I think that it's not necessarily a good term. Uh, it's just one that no, I've heard. From here's what I'm of. saying: is when they're
0: when they're touting that as as the new <laughs> exciting thing.
3: I mean, it, I, mean I think it they don't inspiring. understand. It's just like I expect that by the 24th century, it'll be like on like a whole different level, right? Like like this is like a 21st century like concept. So like that's the kind of like thinking we're doing about gender now. So it'll probably be even like wilder in the. But that, that's not a science right. fiction
0: concept. That's that, that's my problem. Is is the focus is on identity, and like I, I'm seeing a lot of memes about like the cake is eternal, and it shows like a gif of a cake being replicated over and over and over again. Like that is <laughs> that is not what Star Trek's about. It's not about replicating cake. I mean, you can replicate cake. That's fine. I, mean, I think
3: Star Trek is about replicating cake. And <laughs> and I don't think you can say that like a replicator meme is not what Star Trek is about, right? Like, In fact, like Star Trek is all about replicator memes. Uh,
0: I don't know if that's true. I think uh, when when they... They don't do a lot of replicator stories. They do well, do yeah, a lot but, of holograms. When I talk
3: to my, uh, say, like, what does the general public know about Star Trek? Like, the replicator is one of the primary things about Star Trek, and it's one of Star Trek's primary contributions to like uh, the cultural zeitgeist, right? Like, I don't think there's a way around transporter.
0: That. I think not replicator.
1: Transporter. T- um.
3: The transporter too. The transporter well, too. But I think uh, the replicator is, uh, you know, that that's a contribution to like mainstream economic thought now, right? <laughs>
0: Well, I guess so, but Philip K. Dick actually, you know, has the the uh, replicator auto. Well, fact. I mean, it doesn't
3: matter what the origin is; it's, it matters like where it comes like, from. Yeah, I just don't think it it's—I
0: don't think it's really in the zeitgeist, except like that's the only replicator uh, GIF I've ever seen. Um, but it's like, in, like,
3: like, uh, well, I'll give you an example. Um, like when I'm talking to to Meg about Star Trek, like mm-hmm. what is like one of the only things she knows about Star Trek? She's like, "Is that the show with the replicator?" Okay.
0: All right, all right. I guess that's a. Right, yeah.
3: I think it's like out there. I don't Is think it's um, like,
0: uh, She started watching Deep Space Nine with you. You said.
3: Uh, no, we, we're planning on it. It hasn't oh. started. yet. We've been doing <laughs> Halloween watching. Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Do you remember, industrial Replic- replicators talked about in Next Generation because they show up a lot in.
0: Huh. Yeah, so there's an episode. Of like, there's different levels
2: of it. Like, there's an episode all, I watched
0: where I think it's the, f- like, very early in the first, uh, second season where Jordy has to, he's building a thing. And I, and then he says, I have to go replicate a uh, hundred of these or something like that. Yeah. Um, it was like a containment device for some plague. It was a really weak episode. Um, uh, and oh, oh, yeah, it's the child, the one where uh, Troy gets a baby. And it turns does out does get a uh, baby
3: or does uh, when, when's the one where Riker gets a baby?
0: I don't I don't remember Riker getting a baby, but not
1: really. Is that, he, no, gets he gets a fake son. He
0: gets a fake son. That's
3: an episode of Enterprise. trip. Yeah, episode. yeah. He gets a fake son. Okay. Yeah. This is a different episode. Than yes. That. Yeah. This is the like I
0: think it might be the first episode of the second season or. Yeah, this one where the alien wants to be a human. Yes, yeah, so some okay. alien comes on board the ship and impregnates itself in in Troy, and then he grows up super rapidly. Uh, they never said like it's parthenogenesis, but with a male. But that's like apparently doesn't have any other DNA other than hers. And then uh, the B story is they're transporting some plague thing, and then the 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 boy dies. So the, because he he's generating some like it's shitty. SF. He's generating some, like, radiation or something that's causing the plague to grow, and it's going to kill everybody in the universe. So he he dies. Um, But... uh he turns into a star seed or whatever and whispers in her ear. And she says, we'll never forget. You'll never mention it ever again on the show.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I have forgotten him until right now. I don't. I mean, I've definitely seen that episode, right? Yeah. Like that's an episode that I've definitely seen. And I have no memory of it. That's they, they
0: kind of have the idea of he. he. Um, Jordy hand builds. A, this is the first. First season's really fucked up because they don't have a chief engineer. They keep changing it. And they actually yeah. have a, 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 an episode near the end of the first season where Jordy is in charge. Um, and the chief engineer, who's a full lieutenant comes up from the basement to, uh, some no name we've never seen before to say, I'm in charge. Riker left you in charge, but, and Data left you in charge, but, but I am higher rank. And he says, no, no, I'm in charge. You go back. I need you in engineering. And then we never see him again. <laughs> So it was like uh, uh He showed
2: up in another episode.
0: No, no, they they had like f- about six different chief engineers in the first season. Uh, okay. I think there was hey, two Con different... Is a tough man to work for. He's very <laughs>
3: effective. And like you have to deal with his weird personal stuff.
0: Apparently, for everyone. apparently so, though, Gene Roddenberry didn't want um, in the first Star Trek, he didn't want Scotty to be a major character. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that's sort of what happens in, in this too, right? This is Gene Roddenberry's vision. He doesn't want the engineer really involved. And that's why he didn't make it a priority, right? He, he his whole idea is, Oh, we'll have a, a blind man flying the ship, <laughs> which is cool. But, you know, that role is not what they need to tell the stories, right? So he's sort of, he's, uh, he's Bellamy-ing it. <laughs> we need more managers, unless people sitting at home uh, eating dinner.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, Jesse, I want to go back to the discovery thing, because I yeah. think I actually fundamentally agree with you about the show and okay. think about it in the same way. Um, and that's that uh it's a fantasy show. Okay. Um it's not like really uh like it's more like Star Wars, right? Like it's it's out in space and we're doing space things, but it's more about um, you know, this, like, uh, cultural meeting between the Federation and the Klingons in a way that, like, feels like Game of Thrones, almost. Mm. Um, and then there's, uh, so we're really into the world-building of the, like, different sorts of peoples. And then, like, the, the main scientific concepts, or sci-fi concepts in it, are barely sci-fi concepts. Um, yes. uh the, the multiverse, which, I guess it's a sci-fi concept, but it, it, it transcends science fiction, right? Um, it's just like an idea, mm. uh, and then uh, the other sci-fi concept in it is the idea that there's this like, like fungus network, but beneath spore the spore drive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, it's like there's this like other world that's like fungus, like underneath the universe that you can pass through, and that's like, um, if we make that like a fundamental like principle of Star Trek, it really changes Star Trek, huh?
0: Yeah, well, also apparently it's just lifted from some. Apparently, that's all they're doing is just lifting other people's shit and then labeling I mean, it their own. What
3: Star Trek's about though. I mean, it's it synthesizes <sighs> other science fiction, right? It's, it's not in, its own. It's interesting, thing, really. yeah.
0: So there's a. Uh, I don't think you were on it. I'm trying to remember who was on it. I did a show um uh, on a Stuart J. Burns story. Were you on that one? Um, it was really good. It was Paul. I don't know who that is. Okay, so um, I think I tweeted about him recently. Uh, Gene Roddenberry says, I would stand in the rain uh, for a new Stu Byrne story. Saw uh, that tweet. Yeah. Stuart J. Byrne. So he um, he was a pulpy um, SF writer um, who Gene Roddenberry really liked uh, as a writer. We know this. Um, yeah, Last Days of Thronus. I think it was just me and Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a shame because it, it it it's a book that should be better known. It's a uh, audiobook's on Audible. Uh, the book itself is public domain. Um, and it's called Last Days of Thronus, and it's it's like a there's two planets and there's a spaceship that can go between them. It's an ancient ship, and turns out, long story short, that uh the the primitive planet is actually Earth, and the the other planet is um, Mars. Or maybe the fifth planet, which got destroyed. uh, And so we're from other planets or something, right? But there's a scene in it where uh, our hero goes into the engineering room and has a sit-down logic argument with the computer. Um, He kirks the computer, right? (laughs) Um, Which is awesome. And it's why you see it so much in the first Star Trek, right? Where he, you know... Human- humanely argues with the computer as to who and what logic is and what the purpose of <laughs> existence is. And then the computer capitulates, right? Um, so yeah, he's lifting from that and he's, he's doing all sorts of stuff. You know, that I, I just discovered this amazing story, which I'm going to give to Eric. Um, it's called, uh, The Man Without a Body. And it's an 1877 story, science fiction story published in a newspaper that is uh it's about transporter technology and it's a comedy it's also a bit of a fantasy but it's hard sf as well which is really weird all those things together and it's you know less than half an hour to read but the thing is is it it, it this idea of transporter technology it doesn't really come into sort of fruition until star trek and they didn't really use it to its full extent until i think tng right it was yeah. basically just a so once once you have some sort of concept out there in your in your thing you can then turn it into an sf thing but you have to follow some stupid rules and just be really secure about them and whenever they deviate from them that sort of makes it not sf it's it's like um that's why i think that the, the, they just like why did they need the spore drive they didn't. They already had warp technology. So why did they do it?
3: Because it was cool as hell.
0: Because that's why, right? It was cool yeah, I mean, as hell.
3: Seriously though, I mean it was it was really cool, but it just felt like oh, this really changes the rules of Star Trek. Right. This is like true in all Star Trek series now. Yeah, yeah but
0: w- 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 why did they do it? Because it was cool. I-, I I watched a lot of Picard, and they did a lot of stuff, and it didn't seem like there was any sort of explanation for it other than, hey, that would be cool, wouldn't it? And I'm like, well, no, because <laughs> that's not what Star Trek is, right? Like, like that's not, you know, 80-year-old man getting exploded across a room and getting up and walking. That's something, but it's not it's not good. So I don't know. I, I haven't watched enough Discovery to say, you know, that it's defi- definitively shit, but it absolutely looks like definitive shit to me from what I've seen of it. And and it's not because it's, you know, bad storytelling as much as it's it just isn't what it's labeled as. I, I guess that's what it is now, like New Doctor Who is what you know, I New Doctor Who is fucking terrible too. And what I mean by but new it, but is it's like it's what
3: Doctor Who is now.
0: Yeah, that's right, right. So
3: So so Star Trek ex- might not be what, what you want it to be, be anymore. <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's painful for,
1: for me too. Well, uh, I don't mind Discovery. I hate Picard. Discovery, you know, sort of.
0: I don't know how. How did you get through the first episode? So well, fucking boring. I, I,
1: I soldiered through that.
0: You must have,
1: because
0: <laughs> yeah. the big lung Klingon speeches, for no reason. As yeah. far
3: as I can I mean, tell. It was them.
0: awesome. Well, it was. It was expensive looking.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the the point of it was the on speech. It was its own. It was for its own sake. I yeah. How much of the show have you watched, Misa? I've watched all of Discovery. Okay, so do you um? Did you like how season two ended? Uh,
1: well, I like that that they that they're moving on to their own thing.
3: Cool. Yeah, I've only seen about half of season two. I watched until they went to um. Who's the really tall alien? What's his name? Saru. Yeah, I watched through when they went to Saru's planet, and I was like really into the whole like Saru plot. And I was like, okay, well, we've like seen the Saru plot now, so I'm gonna like stop paying for my subscription. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm piggybacking on my daughter's subscription.
3: Ah,
0: there you go. Uh yeah, I'm I'm watching that. By the way, she was she? How did she feel about it?
1: Hey! Oh! I hate.
0: Wow! Okay. Um, she uh, uh, no. Uh, I'm I've been watching this uh, wolves. What's it called? Raised by wolves. Um, I don't know. Somebody recommended it to me, and I don't know who it was. Um, it's HBO Max, and it's it's like a combination of all of uh, Ridley Scott's favorite things. So it's got Crusaders, mm-hmm. like in the. Uh, that Crusader movie. (laughs) It's a good Crusader movie. Um, and then it's got, um, androids and it's sort of Prometheus as well, which I'm not a fan of. And I was thinking like, oh, this is, this is quite well done. Although it's getting sort of boring after third, fourth episode and we'll see what happens. Um, but the thing is, is if it was a, if it was a science fiction book, I would totally not fucking read a page of it. Right? <laughs> I would not read a fucking page. Because it's just not that interesting. As in science fiction terms, it's not that interesting. But it's a spectacle, right? And it has this idea of, you know, people raising rob people raised by robots. Um, it's got some religious stuff which I'm not interested in. It's kind of he, he i think he doesn't really understand whoever's running it doesn't really understand like atheists don't tend to get very mil- militant after they convert from whatever religion they are into atheism so this is like fundamental to the show is the idea that there's a uh, a war between the atheists and the religious and the thing is is you know i i'm been an atheist Pretty much my whole life. As soon as I heard about God, I'm like, who's that? <laughs> I don't know about him. That sounds like bullshit to me. Um, but I don't go around, you know, yelling at people. I mean, sometimes I'll argue on the internet for fun when I'm young. But that's just for fun, right? It's not like a... Uh, I, I, but, like, <laughs> once a, after a certain point, you you don't, like... You know, I would never get in a tank and try and kill people who are religious. That just wouldn't... I don't know anybody who does. I guess the communist idea, the communists are wanting to take over the world and turn everybody into an atheist. I don't think that that was their main motivation (laughs) to turn everybody into an atheist. They're just trying to stop, you know, religious domination, which is completely different. Yeah. I think.
3: Well, I mean, in Albania, they did go around during, like, Ramadan and, like, try to get Muslims to eat during the day. And, like, mm. on days when, like, Catholics were only supposed to eat fish, they go around and, like, try to get you to eat pork and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, like – I mean, there have been, like, real, like, anti-religious campaigns, like, by communist parties for, oh, yeah. like, like, various reasons. I mean, I, I think you're right that the main thrust is uh, – you, like, the power structure of the church actually has to be destroyed yeah. uh, in those contexts because it's, like, you know, we're talking about semi-feudal societies where the church is, like, one of the main powerful institutions of property relations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but, I mean, the Soviet space program did have all those posters that's, like, you know, the astronaut is up there and, like, look, no God!
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, it, true point, though. <laughs> they didn't find them up there. <laughs> um, I like those posters. I'm also a big fan of all all, all propaganda posters, really. I think they're really
3: Yeah, yeah. That, really I mean, interesting. that was a, uh, it's a... It's weird to think that there was a time when somebody thought it was politically necessary to campaign against religious beliefs.
0: Well, I, I grew up in the 70s, and it was... It, was it, w- it wasn't predominant, but once in a while I would go to a place or, I, you know, we moved to a place where it's super religious, and it's like... This is fucking weird. What? Why is everybody talking that way? And why are they asking me these questions that I don't have answers to? Because they were totally inside of it, right? But now, you know, especially here, I don't... There's not... Like, there's tons of churches, but nobody... They're all, like, you know... Korean churches that you know they don't they don't if, if they if they want you to become uh Baptist Korean Baptist they they don't push very hard <laughs> they don't push me very hard.
1: Well, I have a brother who's who went like fundamental, mm-hmm. like, like, and um, and and sometimes you you may not want to you know rail against religious when when somebody comes at you with. All of the you, thou shalt not thou shalt, you, you shall not marry, you shall not, you, people of the same sex cannot do mm-hmm. this, and like rules, 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 rules. That's why you fight against them. It's not, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I mean, I see why people would fight against the, the aftermath of it, the, the, you know, the ramifications of it. mm
0: mm-hmm. So, yeah, but yeah, like the way they've got it on the show, it's like these robots are teaching the children. Oh, no,
1: no, no, Not there. Not there.
0: What, what, what Will was saying. Yeah, no. Uh, see, that's the thing is I think fundamentally whoever wrote this show, uh, they got a really good budget. You know, it's, uh, HBO Max is like HBO, but more expensive. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it, it, it's like it's not on the regular HBO. I think it's only on this extra streaming service that HBO has, right?
1: Only the very rich can watch it.
0: Exactly, right? So it's like Game of... Or the Pirates. (laughs) Oh, yes, or the Pirates, right? It's like Game of uh, Thrones-level budget, and, you know, they got very talented actors. They got Ridley Scott to direct, like, the first three, maybe two uh, episodes, right? It's very premium-looking. It looks like it was filmed in, you know... It's like Mandalorian, except more expensive and bigger, bigger budget, right? So, very, very premium. But ultimately, I don't think it makes any sense, unless, you know, they're going to do something a lot smarter than what I've seen. And so, I think, like, that's important. Like, what's cool about Star Trek is that it is a whole bunch of short stories, and then you also have some characters you like to see you know develop over time maybe a little bit but the ideas are the important thing right yeah i don't watch star trek because they have uniforms <laughs> 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 and they have cake that's not why i watch it i watch it because um if you watch a season uh you know you got some amazing cool sf ideas uh, infinite cake is
3: an is sf idea
0: though uh yeah but uh, notice it's cake Right, I mean, I you know can have your cake, cake and cake. eat it too. It's it, it's there's something like so
3: you think, think there's, there's something sinister, sinister in the oh, concept yeah. of an infinite, infinite cake, infinite cake, infinite cake infinite even if it's an
0: SF1 I I haven't even seen I haven't seen I haven't seen it. So uh, yeah,
3: no, I I don't know. I just, uh, I'm just I'm just riffing on this idea of infinite cake. I I have no idea what it's a reference to for sure. <laughs> I,
0: I don't. I, I, all I know is if you type in you know Star Trek. Uh, well, it just shows up in my feed or whatever. Uh, I get the Star Trek communist guy f- f- feed and he he seems to be trying to make friends with all these people who are not that into communism. <laughs> so, and then I see all the people who are really excited that a gender non-binary character is on and then they do an interview with this person and I'm like, well, there's no SF ideas here. So, but the, it's like talking to the act, like, yeah, don't let John Luke Picard's uh, Patrick Stewart uh, determined how the course of the show should go. Get a SF writer in there and have them write some SF. He's just an actor. Don't let him <laughs> run the show. They don't know what they're doing. They're just actors,
4: <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: I mean, that, that's why we have scripts. I think. <sighs>
1: I
3: think so, so too.
0: If you, if you just have the like, actor... Don't you
3: take George Takei seriously?
0: I do not. Uh, I'm sad that he was put in an internment camp. I think that uh, <laughs> FDR was a bad man for doing that. On the other hand, um, America was incredibly racist at that time, and it might have been a protection measure. Same thing happened up here. Um, you know, like... The... Um,
3: but there's no reason for you to like apologize for putting Japanese people in an internment. Well, Canada in did it I mean, as well as the to, states. You don't have to say, "Well, it could have protected I, them. Like, it's, no, no, it's, I, think that, I, I think that I think that
0: that might have like literally been a motivation, uh, a secret, hidden motivation, not a real motivation, you know, like stated motivation. Um, but because there was like there was like really anti-Japanese sentiment,
3: um, you know.
0: Oh, yeah.
3: yeah, they definitely would have gotten around, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and, and you can't really have, you know, like, if you're a, f- a state and you have, well, I guess you can do that in the states right now, right? You can just have death squads running around killing people.
3: In, in uh, fact, it's, it's pretty standard.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, but see, that's not a very FDR move, right, is to allow that.
2: I had a classmate who wrote his senior thesis. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they are all writing our senior thesis together in senior, you know, last year of college, and he wrote you know local Wisconsin history, right? So I think it was it was at Fort McCoy. I, one of the one of the military bases in Wisconsin was like was used as a POW camp mm-hmm. for Germans, and they just like left the doors open, and they just went around and talked to the old time Germans in German, you know. Mm-hmm. You
0: know, it's not uh, but the United States was is, just is like filled with Germans out,
2: it was for the rest of the war you know
0: the US was filled with Germans so it's it, like the, <laughs> there was no major anti-German sentiment There's more anti-Italian sentiment
3: World War I was uh we're, yeah we're, we're more of a minority then right or I mean that? I was read about this in
2: Aerosmith it's a major subplot in Aerosmith hmm so the, the doctors of Germany, like the, the whole lab is said to like make serums and shit for the war and except they all get officer ranks except for the German, the German American, the German immigrant.